May I please have your full and undivided attention? It is time for the Paranormal Rundown. Hello, this is Cedric Dankworth Smythe. I am the unexpectedly psychic butler who works with these fine gentlemen. You found your way to the Paranormal Rundown. That was extremely good of you. So, let's get ready to listen to JJ, Vicar Manson, and Dave Griffith as they discuss over 1,300 exciting and titillating paranormal topics. For this episode, we once again have a guest in the dungeon. The dungeon that we have recently improved, cleaned, and made far more comfortable. A guest tonight is Val Zavala, an internationally known purveyor of Bigfootery. Stick around. You'll learn more about Bigfootery than you ever thought you needed to know. Now, let's get to Val. My name, as always, is Avalon Lee and Dankworth Smythe, or Avalon Lee. I don't know why people say that, as always, part. It's not like our names change on a frequent or random basis. That would cause things to get quite confusing. Balzavola has developed one of the largest Bigfoot databases in existence, and is, therefore, a true and bona fide expert in his realm of knowledge. Using British slang, he is the furthest possible thing from gormless. He genuinely knows his onions. However, I will still have David, JJ, and Vic to contend with so I will probably have a busy evening correcting their factual, conceptual, and even philosophical errors. Oh, by the way, David, Vic, and JJ have asked that I refrain from referring to them as wazzocks, wankers, pillocks, twits, tossers, or gits. Therefore, in all future episodes of the Paranormal Rundown, I vow on the sanctity of the Dankworth Smythe clan to never again refer to them as wazzocks, wankers, pillocks, twits, tossers, or gits. However, I encourage the audience to utilize these terms concerning the principles of the show as often as possible. Hello, everybody. This is Vic Hermanson introducing the fourth episode of the Paranormal Rundown. This is utterly astounding. A factual error within the first 10 seconds of human commentary. This is actually the fifth episode of the Paranormal Rundown. We've talked to Father Michael Birdsong. We've talked to Anna Maria Monelli. Manello. Manello. Okay, I'm going to leave that there just to show how dumb I really am. Uh, an author from the Philippines. And tonight we have a new guest who has agreed to be on the show on extremely short notice. For that, we're extremely grateful. Uh, his name is Val Zavala. He was previously a guest on the on my podcast, uh, Trailer Trash Terrors, and we had a blast. We started, I think, to talk about Bigfoot, and we ended up talking about Est and Bigfoot sightings and all kinds of things. 
So Val sent us a, uh, an introduction, and I'm going to read it, just like Art Bell used to read his introductions. Val provides the following. Hello, my name is Val, and this is my introduction. I am not a Bigfoot researcher, nor am I an expert. I am a Bigfoot data miner who profiles Bigfoot, and for transparency, I am retired law enforcement. I profile Bigfoot and Sasquatches, and I am the gumshoe guy. I have my own Facebook group site, the Michigan Bigfoot Report and Data, Gumshoe Guys Corner. I started the group to step away from troublemakers and provocateurs and to co-host Grizz and Gumshoe Guy on a podcast with my good friend, Grizzly Chris. The podcast is called Rolling the Bones, and it airs on all platforms primetime Sunday at 6 p.m. The rules of Val's Facebook are very simple. Be respectful, no fighting, no politics, no profanity. And finally, this is a troll-free zone, meaning they will find no quarters here. Val created four Bigfoot databases and owns the largest active Michigan Bigfoot database. The word gumshoe is a moniker for a sleuth, a private detective. Val served two tours honorably in the military as a combat infantryman and military police investigator. Val attended Madonna University and graduated from Central Michigan University with a Bachelor of Science. He spent 25 and a half years in law enforcement with city, county, state, and federal agencies and retired in good standing. He instructed police officers in two of Michigan's largest community college and wrote a published article for a national mid-Atlantic Great Lakes organized crime law enforcement network periodical. He's been featured on the History Channel and A&E as a subject matter expert, or SME. He was a featured guest speaker twice for the annual Midwest Investigator Seminar in Illinois and was a vetted member of an international intelligence group. Off-duty, Val was a private investigator. Val decided his last curtain call before retiring in good stead in June of 2012 would be a humanitarian act of paying it forward. He set out to search for, find, and then reunite an Ohio family with their missing family member of 30 to 31 years. He did this free, gratis, no charge, as a chosen act of self-redemption. The search and recovery effort took 21 months and was aided by a medium and mitochondrial DNA. The case remains an unsolved cold case homicide. In conclusion, Bigfoots, Sasquatches, they are real and they do exist. On July 19, 2014, Val had his first and only Bigfoot Sasquatch encounter in Waterloo State Park, Washtenaw County, Mich Michigan. Since then, he has spent the hours, days, months, and years reading, analyzing, comparing, quantifying, and sorting hundreds and thousands of Bigfoot reports across the USA and North America. Val, welcome to the Paranormal Rundown. Thank you very much, Victor. Um, and both your uh, co-host here, very good gentlemen. I'm glad to be in their presence. And um, I'm sure we're going to have a, a nice chit-chat. We're going to have fun. Okay. Well, uh, JJ, Dave, any new business we need to cover before we go into the random topic zone? I don't think so. Just thanks for joining us, Val. This is going to be fun. Thank yeah, you. It's very nice to meet you and looking forward to the conversation. Hello, this is Avalon Liam Dankworth Smythe. The paranormal rundown is, by its nature, 
chaotically chaotic, the drunkards walk exploring any part of human experience that is even remotely related to the paranormal. However, some guests present with such astounding knowledge and experiences that the gang of nerds chooses to forego the fully random nature of the show. In order to better access the wealth of the guests' mind in a more traditional manner. That is what they chose to do in episode 5. So, we start this podcast as Val responds to a discussion concerning good and bad horror films. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> we, we can go into that for a moment, and I, and I would like to um, um, voice my opinion on Hollywood horror movies. I'm not a, a particular fan of that. Um, I just don't, um, mainly because of the negativity. And um, I, I, you know, I personally believe that uh, we live, as I said earlier, in in an imperfect world. As such, uh, nothing that we see that comes out of Hollywood is good. Nothing. It's all scripted. It's all narrated. It's a it's a um, it's somebody else's paradigm that they would prefer us to believe. But having said that, I truly believe there's nothing that's produced in Hollywood, horror movies or anything else, that doesn't have overseers and overwatchers to, to you know to advise and, and and stuff like that. And the reason why I say that is because a lot of the stuff. A lot of the uh, movies that we've seen, um, horror movies, creepy movies, I call them, uh, that we see, uh, if you're involved in, in the paranormal, Bigfoot world and stuff, you see a lot of these things. Somebody had the knowledge, the foreknowledge of that when they made these movies, because a lot of that stuff that, that they talked about, that they produced, you see today you or you hear of it. Um, and I firmly, I fir- firmly believe that, and I won't allow uh, that Bigfoot group site that I have to 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 play host to skinwalkers and all that kind of stuff. I, I dogman, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I won't allow that. Um, and and you know, if that if that turns a lot of people off, then you know, that's the way it is. I just, I don't want to go there, you know. But that's my feeling about about Hollywood and stuff. It's it's not good. It's it's a it's a uh, a scripted uh, narration. So say that say that last part about Dogman again. I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I I don't I don't I don't get into that. Who, who am I speaking to, Gary? This is David. David, and uh, yeah, I don't I don't get into that. I don't share that that same sort of interest in that. No, nope. I don't. In, in terms of uh, the the potential cryptid of Dogman or the well, negativity around it, well, uh, we started Hollywood. I I, I want to yeah, make the connection. So yeah, I'm not for sure that a lot of the so-called Dogman reports aren't Bigfoot. That's where I'm mm-hmm. going with this. Okay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, I've said this before uh, in my personal encounter in Washtenaw County, Michigan, um, the individual that I seen that I focused on was Uh the one that made, made its appearance most aptly with me. And and I took a picture of that. Uh 
but there was another individual in the next tree over. And this is for all the people that, that want to laugh and giggle about Sasquatches climbing trees. It's impossible. You know, they weigh 700 pounds. It's just, <laughs> you know, the physics aren't there. The uh, self-appointed experts. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, but this is true. And um, they were in a tree. There was two of them in a tree. One of them that I took a picture of that I was focused on because it was staring at me, it stared at me and my partner. And um, the second individual did not look like the first one. The second individual in the tree next to that, that particular individual was, was blonde haired, shaggy, blonde haired, with red lips that I remember. And this is, this is something that's burned in the, and etched into my memory. That's what I seen. And, and I've seen the, I've seen this photo. Yes. And I looked and to me, gentlemen, it, it reminded me directly of Chewbacca, you know, the, the Hollywood rendition of, mm-hmm. of Wolfman. So I, I, you know, I'm not sure that this is where people draw the uh, connection, the confluence between Dogman, Wolfman, in Bigfoot, because as I've stated so many times, you know, uh, in writing and podcast, uh, to my knowledge, there, there, there is a wide variety and variation of, of Bigfoots. All of them don't look alike. We got this, this idea in our head that all these Sasquatches, Bigfoot Sasquatches are supposed to look like Patty, the gorilla. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't. We don't look alike. I don't look like you. You don't look like me. Some people are stout. Some people are skinny. Some people are fat. Some people are short. Some people are bald like me. Um, And um, some are not. Some have red hair. Some have brown hair and some have white hair. All of us do not look alike. And to that, and to that point, I say this gentlemen, um, it doesn't matter that, that we, we look at a great Dane. In a Chihuahua, they're still of the dog species, and we cannot we cannot uh, look at Sasquatch, Bigfoots, and say you know this is make up some name. Uh, this is a big this is a dog man. This is because a, it doesn't look like it doesn't fit our um, preconception of what uh, Bigfoot is supposed to look like. It doesn't look like a gorilla. But I'll tell you this. The individual that I seen that I took a picture of looked very, very human, uh-huh. very human. But for the hair on the chest, the arms, the legs, the the, the uh, calves, it was not it was not human. The face looked the face looked uh, shiny, pink, complected, like like uh, like I remember dead people, deceased people. Uh-huh. Uh, deceased people have a right. a sheen about their 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 skin. They sure do. It seems to glow and shine. And that's what, that's what stuck in my mind. And um, I'm not one, I'm not one to, to uh, have outbursts of, of profanities. I mean, although, you know, there's times when, <laughs> you know, you know, gentlemen, you're watching me, the ears go down, you know, we get frustrated about something and something comes out of your mouth that wasn't supposed to. But generally, uh, I, I'm of the opinion that, that uh, you know, I want to speak to intelligent people. Uh-huh. I, want to, I want to communicate intelligently, and I can't use uh, adverbs and, and, 
and words like that. I, I just don't. But in all transparency, my first reaction and shock and surprise was, what the F? Are you kidding me already? <laughs> when I turn around and see that thing staring at me up in a tree, nine foot tall, uh-huh. very, very hot, very humid. The bugs were tearing us to pieces. We went through two bottles of off repellent, insect repellent. When we, when we got into the center of this, this uh, incident, um, I've talked to Victor before about this. There's, there's something, you know, that people like me learn to do, and we've learned to do it over, or over our career, and that is rely on instinct. Uh-huh. That little something within your soul, your heart, that, that kind of keeps you balanced. It tells you, you know, don't, no, Val, don't try this. Don't do this. You know, it doesn't say the reason why. It just says, no, don't do this. And uh, some of us will call it the Holy Spirit. Some of us call it instinct. And I've learned to rely on that. And when you rely on that, it, it, comes, it comes with effort. And you have to try it over and over again. You know, you win some, you lose some, but you learn each time you, you, you begin developing the skill. And everybody has the ability to develop this. For instance, in my early uh, adult life, I was always um, occupied with education. It, it, you know, I come, from a, I come from a poor family, a big, large, poor family. Uh-huh. And um, education meant a lot to me. I know that I didn't want to live my life like that. But in order to break away from those, those restraints, I had, to, I had to do something for myself. And it took me, it took effort, my effort. So uh, when I started dating my wife, when she was my girlfriend, I gave up, I sacrificed my college tuition to, to attend this, this training. They called it EST, E-S-T, oh. not E-S-P as in Paul, <sighs> E-S-T, T as in Tom. Earhart Seminars Training. Oh, yes, I was going to ask exactly. what that was. I heard about the the, the podcast. I was, yes. I didn't know what "est" meant. So, yes, Earhart seminars training is that what? Mm-hmm. That's, what it, that's what it meant. Okay, and it's outlawed now. From what now, I understand, oh, it was literally is made illegal now. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It was essentially paying to be tortured, and then to be convinced that that torture was beneficial to you. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Paying good money too, lots. Uh, of they money. they would uh, regulate the the temperature. Uh-huh. They would regulate your body function, access to bathrooms. They would. Some people called it mind control, and it probably was. And it, you know, you know, as a as an adult now, a, a more well informed an adult now, I see that I can see where it's, it it could be dangerous. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't have any pretensions. Uh, with you gentlemen speaking here tonight, uh, when I say that uh, there are programs out there for, for that exactly kind of stuff, mm-hmm. right? So um, one of the one of the aspects of the training, and 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 I'll tell you, one of them was was uh, uh, because I was there with my girlfriend. One of them was to invoke jealousy, jealousy, 
And one of the exercises, well, you know, where, you know, some stranger was going to rub on my, on my woman's back and stuff. And, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not hip to that. That's not cool. <clears throat> no, I didn't, I didn't pay money. You didn't pay somebody to do no, that, right? <laughs> no, anybody's going to rub on her back. It's going to be me, <laughs> but that's me years ago. And this program, I might add, was designed and built and promoted as for young movers and shakers. And I'm talking about politicians. I'm talking about police officers, anybody that's that, that has a future in public. That's what that was for. Celebrities, everybody. So uh, when I go on with this, that just gives you an idea where I'm, where I'm going to go with this. And um, one of the, that was one of the aspects I didn't like. And, and it, you know, it raised my ire. And another one was, <clears throat> they, you know, there was probably 300 people in this auditorium at a uh, social civic center in Southfield, Michigan, which is pretty big, 300 people. And um, the facilitator uh, took target on me, probably because I was outspoken and uh, seemed like a, uh, a person that was not going to cooperate with the program here. Yeah, he needed to get you under control for the rest of yeah, the well, audience he did. to not follow. And he did. And he, he uh, asked me to come up. He had a microphone. And uh, him and I went back and forth exchanging barbs. And then he asked me to step up on the stage, and I did. Mm -hmm. There were four proctors that came out, gentlemen. One of them, and I didn't know these people. These are strangers. The spotlight's on me. I'm, I'm, I'm up there. They dim the lights in the auditorium. You can't see people. You can hear them cough. You can hear them jostle around uncomfortably in, the, in their seats. Um, but you can't see them you know the presence is there. The heavy presence of people are there. The spotlight's on me overhead. And, and you know, he's going on with his, his program. So these strangers come out. One stands directly in front of me, nose to nose. The second one stands directly behind me, and I can feel his, his, his breathing on my hair that close. The second and third uh, take position on my uh, left and right side staring at me, not saying a word. Then he calls up 25 more people out of the audience, come up here and the same thing ha happens to them. Gentlemen, I'm going to tell you something. I seen grown men break down in tears, almost have a breakdown right there because of this. We all have a, a uh, natural uh, expectation of, of privacy. You know, all of us, all of us have a, a, a six foot invisible, six foot, seven foot uh, distance especially when we talk to strangers, uh -huh. <clears throat> this violated that. A lot of people aren't accustomed to that kind of stuff. I wasn't and, and but I later on in my, in my career, having worked uh, corrections at the sheriff's department in Detroit, uh, that was some of the training too, very similar. And the same thing happened there. You know, I see a, a big uh, burly son of a judge burst out and cry and cry and, and break down and shake and tears and stuff over this. So that was part of the training years later, going forward in my career, I can't tell you how many times 
that I've walked into bars, restaurants, whether on duty or not, and uh, take a seat. <clears throat> it's just natural that when you walk in the door of a bar, restaurant, busy, uh, everybody tends to look at the door. They want to see who's coming in. Uh-huh. You find yourself a seat, and, and I'm inviting everybody here in the listening audience to try this experiment. Have a seat. Pick one person out in that crowd with his back to you, her back to you, and stare at him and see what happens. What you will probably see is, is uh, fidgeting, uncomfortable fidgeting. They'll scratch their neck. They'll rub their back. And at some point, if you continue this, they're going to surprise you. And they're going to turn around and look you dead straight in the eyes. And you're going to look at the stranger. And you're going to feel like a dope for staring at him. And they're going <laughs> to think that you're weird. But this is part of the instinctual um, training and stuff that, that was taught. In, the, in that training. And so what do you think that actually is? What do you think's physically happening there? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not an expert on this, but I can only tell you how, you know, how I seen it in training. I've seen it in, in, in progress, in real life. And so I, I'm thinking that we all have energy that we don't know about. We have, we have a certain amount of gifts that were given to us at birth that that we're not supposed to know we're not supposed to use um getting back to this bigfoot uh, encounter um it was pretty intense i'm looking at its eyes i'm even trying to provoke it i'm ca i called it a freak at one time you freak you and all i got in return was was the eyes blinking and this you call the, the Bigfoot you saw a freak? Yes, yes. yes. That, was, that was awfully brave. Well, yeah, I'm thinking, well, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I started feeling, in, in what I noticed in this, uh, I've, I've, I've never talked about this publicly, but uh, I was involved in a head-on car collision back in 2000, I want to say 2000, and um, I broke my back. And to this day, I have cement in my back holding myself together mm. like bondo cement, you know, like they use in car collisions and stuff. And, <clears throat> um, and so what I want to say is, is what I, what I noticed in a NDE near death experience, this is what I noticed in that, in that split second of time, you're, you're frozen in time and space. You see everything around you. You're so alert. Your mind is lucid. In, in, in my case, I, you know, I sucked in math. <laughs> I, 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 I excelled in English, philosophy, writing, that sort of thing, in history. But I never knew that I could, I could do calculations like this, physic, uh, physics and stuff. But in that moment in time, uh, what I was looking at, and I was I was focused on the passenger of that truck that was now in front of us, and and I'm calculating in my head the time and distance, what the impact is going to be, and if I'm going to survive, mm. we're going to survive. And um, up until the the moment of impact, um, 
I was relieved to know that uh, all of these things going through your mind super fast. We're not supposed to think like this. All of these things. I seen, I seen the woman, I seen the vehicle, I seen the truck, I seen the, the imperfections in the grill, the scratches. Everything was in freeze frame as though I was looking at black and white pictures, photos in front of me. Then it was the impact and crash. And then everything got silent. Everything was dark, black. There was nothingness. And I was still lucid in thought and I was confused. I was in, I was in an extraordinary amount of pain as one could imagine. Absolutely. And yet I was so lucid in thought and I was thinking to myself, is this death? It got quiet. I don't hear anybody talking. It got quiet. I'm, I'm choking and gagging. I'm, I'm thinking the car is on fire. And, um, um, I was, I know that I was in and out of consciousness at that point, because when I opened up my eyes, there were strangers that crawled inside the car. And I asked my wife and my daughter if they were okay. They said they were, but I told them, I says, you guys got to get out of the car. I think the car is on fire and I can't breathe. I can't get out of this uh, seatbelt, the shoulder harness. A lot of these cars, the equipment, the standard equipment is it locks up in place. And mm -hmm. only an officer or a first responder with a razor, with a, a special, very, very sharp uh, device can cut you out of that. If that was a, a case of a burning car and stuff, I, I probably would have been burned to death. But I couldn't move. I was paralyzed. And I, and I said, you know, I think my back is broken. I can't move. I handed over my gun and my badge to my wife. And I, and I asked her to call, you know, my precinct and, and let them know what happened. Um, and from that point on, you know, it was back out. And then there was somebody else climbing into the car talking to me. I'd open up my eyes and it was another man or woman. And I asked him, I says, are you a nurse? Are you a doctor? No, I didn't want to, I didn't want to talk anymore. It was so painful. Uh -huh. I, I just didn't want to talk to anybody. Um, but um, from that point on, I went through this experience. That's, that's how I can explain it. But what I note about this is the same feelings of lucidness in thought in thinking uh, is, is the same experience I, I, I had with, with that Bigfoot Sasquatch encounter. So some people call it, <coughs> some people, excuse me, some people call it infrasound. I don't know, but I was clearly um, aware of of something that was enveloping me and that I had no control of it. I was aware that it was very powerful and I didn't like it. And the only cessation that I felt, the only time that it released that invisible hold was when I thought to myself, you know, free will, you know, when 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 we're little, we're born, God gives us all the gift of free will. We are free will souls. That's what we are. No matter what you do, no matter where you are, that's your choice to do with your life as you please. That's everybody's choice. And as, as soon as I thought of that, uh, I felt, I felt that, that, that vice hold on me relax. And it started to go away to the point where you know, I told my partner, I says, we have to leave. We have to leave. And, and I did not, I did not want any uh, discussion. 
any back and forth explanation. I don't want to talk. Uh-huh. I said, we, Bob, we got to go. I was in a panic. Uh, I'm, I'm telling you this because um, in my career, I've seen some pretty bad, bad things. I was there. Uh, I was on scene uh, during that major uh, jetliner crash years ago. I smelled the horror. I, I, I felt it. It was physical. It was visual. Um, and, and all the other murders and homicides, suicides and stuff like that. You see, nobody likes to see that stuff, but somebody gets paid to see it. And you have to go in there and, and, and experience that. You have to smell it. You have to see it. Sometimes you have to touch it. Uh-huh. But, you know, uh, so, when, you know, when, when I got involved in this, I wanted to know for, my, for myself, is this true? Is there a Sasquatch Bigfoot or is this a myth? Because I've read... I've read those fish wrap papers, you know, at the at the grocery store <laughs> checkout counters. <laughs> yes, and um, uh, that didn't satisfy me. I'm, uh, you know, I'm not from I'm not from Missouri, um, but you have to show me. This is the way I am, you know, with the way I think about stuff. So, um, uh, you know, I thought I was, I thought I had seen it all. I was a, a, a seasoned officer. I seen a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. experienced a lot. And uh, this just, gentlemen, it actually blew my mind. I, I had a hard time dealing with it. I really did. I came home. I know what I seen. I couldn't wait to uh, stop at McDonald's and get a cheese sandwich. I couldn't understand why all of a sudden I was craving for cheese. And then it dawned on me. When I was able to sit back and think about this experience, I mean, I was shocked. I literally felt like like I wanted to go to sleep right there. I mean, that's how yeah. that's how powerful that was, and um, you can't do anything about it. And and but to, to me, in my mind, in my lucid mind, I'm thinking to myself, this is what people talk about when they go missing. You know, they go to sleep. They're incapacitated. They're limp. And uh, who knows where they end up after that? So, um, you know, that's that's some of the things that I looked at. But then I started thinking about this cheeseburger thing. Why, of all things, why did I need a cheeseburger right then? Uh, Victor, you might be aware of this, but there's a uh, there's a product in dairy that babies yearn for, colicky babies, mm-hmm. and uh, it's necessary. I mean, they, they scream, you know, like torture if, if they don't get if they don't get the mama's milk. And I think that th- this had a lot to do with it because, you know, I settled down for the 50 mile drive home. And as soon as I got home, I took out that memory card, threw it in the computer to upload because, you know, I know what I seen. And just as I expected, there it is. That's the photo that you've seen, Victor. And mm-hmm. you gentlemen are, are more than welcome to look at it. Um, yeah, I'll, I'd love I'll, to see it. I'll get it. But to the them. next, but the next issue that I ran into is is a common issue that uh, issue that everybody faces in situations like that, and that is, um, you got critics, yes. you got kitchen top critics that sit there, sitting on their fanny, fanning themselves, eating grapes, looking at a picture that's fake, that's hoax. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you weren't there. You didn't. You you know, you didn't share my eyes. You didn't share my heart. You, you can't say that. But even my friends, 
this is something that they openly talked about. You know, Val, you must have uh, CGI. You know, now the big thing is AI. Before it was CGI. <laughs> um, so that's that is exactly what people, uh, witnesses, have a hard time coming, uh, you know, coming to grips with, and that's why a lot of witnesses uh, still hold back uh, in in information and photos and pictures and stuff because of the ridicule, the criticism and stuff. But I, I liken that to a gauntlet in Native American times. You know, uh, if if you want respect, you're going to have to earn it, and you run it. You you run the gauntlet. If mm-hmm. you survive, then okay. But but that's a uh, a christening that a lot of witnesses have to endure. If you can't if you can't handle the criticism criticism and ridicule like that, then you best keep the information to yourself and not share it. Because let it's, me it's, let me ask a question. Terrible. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe this can be a little topic. <laughs> without spinning the wheel there uh vic but no, we're, we're doing fine the this is something that uh i've been exploring a little more lately a friend of mine got really into it which is the ai photo generation mm-hmm. and it's really really incredible um the quality that that these these AIs are able to to spit out now. And I was on Facebook earlier looking. It wasn't at your group, but it was one that you're a part of. I think mm-hmm. it's the uh, the Bigfoot Big photo, photo archive. Yeah, photo mm-hmm. archive. That's yep. it. Mm-hmm. And and this actually came up in, in one of the little threads there about a photo being AI generated. Mm-hmm. What do you think this is going to do to the Bigfoot world? Because I mean they're getting so good and i would expect in a year or two literally without being able to verify that you know through i think there's a a google tool you can use to search for ai or previous images Mm -hmm. but without something to verify it you're going to have all kinds of bigfoot photos show up that Mm. you just they're going to look real Mm -hmm. right um I think that is a real, a real good observation. Um, um, it is what it is, and uh, that's a part of our life now. You know, it wasn't me that brought that into into public. It's 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 big money. They brought that in, and and right. people that don't have our best interest at hand, they brought that in. That's part of their 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 you know global plan, I believe. And well, um, if you if you consider that a real threat, which you know a lot of people do, they they voice they voice the same concerns. Imagine imagine this. Imagine this. Imagine uh, imagine you being cloned, and there might be five or six of you out there. Yeah, I don't think anybody wants to do that, but. No. No, but but that's the same. That's the same right. issue. This this brings up a, a topic for uh, philosophers and, and ethics and stuff. Where do you draw the line on on this stuff? Right. Um, I don't like I don't like getting involved in those discussions. Not and I don't mean you personally. I don't mean you personally. I mean that 
when people banter back and forth, uh, I'll step, I'll step out of that. When I step out of that and, and I don't comment <clears throat> on, on some of those postings, it's usually a good telltale sign that, uh, you know, I have no, I have no opinion. I, I, I don't know the answer and I don't want to wade into the fray because, you know, it'll only cause <clears throat> more confusion and stuff. But, um, if, if you're concerned about AI and if people are concerned about a, AI, are they also concerned about money that they earn? Of course. Yeah. I, I just, I just think of it in terms of, I mean, I know there are, are much broader issues with AI, mm -hmm. right? I, and, and I, I spend cycles thinking about that too, but today, really sort of brought home when I was seeing that thread. You know, we've seen in the the ghost paranormal world, right? There's always been fake photos or, you know, a little bit of photoshopping to make it just enough where like you're not sure if it's real or not. Mm -hmm. But but AI brings that to a whole new level. Mm -hmm. And in, you know, in a world where you're you're cataloging in evaluating these photos I, I can see that's going to be a, a real challenge mm -hmm. and i hadn't really thought about that before i've thought about other aspects of ai being issues or the benefits i mean there's a lot of benefits to the you know the creativity that can come out of these ai photo uh generations but the, the logo of this podcast was ai that's right mm -hmm. and it was it was awesome i couldn't believe it when you told me how it was made i was this is great mm -hmm. um so so there are benefits but it's just from a uh the whole paranormal world whether it's cryptids ghosts aliens we're just going to see this mushroom of content it's just mm. ex incredible expansion over the next five years it's going to be really hard to tell what's real and what's not you know <clears throat> i might be stepping aside this conversation for a moment but i i, I have to tell you um, that a lot of good Bigfoot reports come from ghost hunters. Mm -hmm. Really? Yes. I believe um, it. It's because, um, you know, a lot of people, when they hear house poundings and screeches and yells, you know, they terrify us. They can't. They, they can send chills down your spine. And the first thing that they jump to is haunted house, you know, hauntings. And then when, when, uh, people like me get involved in that, uh, we go back and we see the stick formations. If, if, if uh, somebody knows a person like me that can pull up histories of the area, oh yeah, there's, there's a history of Bigfoot sightings in this area. So there's a very good chance that that, uh, that individual or individuals are in this area and they have been for a very, very long time. It's something that I've learned uh, over the 12 years that I've been involved in this is that, is that at one point, and I can only speak <clears throat> for Michigan gentlemen, you guys, some, you guys are uh, from Pennsylvania and other States probably. Yeah. You know, the, the investigators, I, I know some investigators up in Pennsylvania who are now avid uh, Bigfoot hunters. Mm -hmm. uh, they started off as, Paranormal ghost hunters start ghost off as ghost hunters mm -hmm. and, and and were very involved in that. And now they spend probably more time out in the woods 
than they do at uh, at haunted locations. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm going to say is is that uh, again, this is this is my opinion. This is based on data that I see. Um, at one time, again, I'm going to talk about Michigan because this is my home state. Michigan uh, didn't have cities. It didn't have uh, skyscrapers or uh, vast amounts of, of uh, suburbs and stuff like that. It was largely forested and marshland, swamps, and some prairie. And um, what I've learned over the over the years is that um, the same would go for Pennsylvania or any other state that you're from. Just name it. Um, for for many generations, um, this is the land. This is the the feature, the geographical feature that they have known. They 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 were born here. They were raised here. By all practical purposes, and and that is where a lot of times that is where a lot of them stay. They choose to stay as residents, and and they're aptly referred to as residents. Hmm. Um. A lot of times, uh, the younger, uh, younger males, the, the seven foot, if you can imagine a teenager seven foot, uh, causing trouble like a juvenile delinquent, uh, screaming, tearing up the trees, throwing broken trees on people's manicured lawns and stuff, <laughs> uh, pounding on people's houses, peeping in their window. You know, that, that stuff isn't going to, uh, people aren't going to put up with that. And, uh, to the larger, uh, established alpha males of the group, they know this, they recognize this. And uh, one gentleman was telling me from Lansing, Michigan, uh, some of his experiences to the point where uh, he was tired. He was a truck driver. He was tired of being woke at uh, three o'clock in the morning with these screams and yells and tired of seeing uh, uh, carcasses of deer and stuff, sometimes on his lawn, as well as broken trees, frayed, shredded trees. And so he's, he took it upon himself and he's a big boy too. He's, he's probably, you know, close to six, six or something, but he goes out and he screams to the top of his lungs, knock it off. (laughs) Or I'm going to go in the house and turn on all the floodlights. And, you know, that's like the wizard of Oz movie. You know, you throw water on the, you know, who, and she melts. (laughs) Well, to the Sasquatch, you turn on the floodlights and, and, you know, that does it for them. They can't hunt. They can't do anything. They are, they are uh, deterred by bright light. And uh, he said, he claimed that when he did that, he heard a large, deep-chested growl back further in the woods. And he took it to mean knock it off. You know, we live here. We reside here. You know, we raise our 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 family here, you're not going to come out here and, and, and ruin this and force us to leave out of here. And he said it was quiet ever since with, with that simple response, you know, knock it off. That's not the first time that I've, that I've run into reports like that where people talk to them and tell them, you know, um, you took my dog, bring it back, bring it back now. And the dog walks out of the woods unharmed. <laughs> unscathed um 
another gentleman writes, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I'm a remote hermit and I live out in the woods and I had many, many uh, Bigfoot Sasquatch encounters. And, and one that put me over the edge was when, you know, times were rough. I didn't have a lot of money and I went out and, and hunted some venison and uh, they stole it. They stole it from me. And so he says, I was angry. And I walked to the to the uh, the wood line and I screamed at them, you know, bring me a bring me a deer, bring me a deer. You stole my deer and I, I need this to eat. He says the next morning he woke up and there was a head of a deer <laughs> on the tree stump. You know, uh, We're just going to help his hunger a whole lot. So. No, it's not. But, you know, it's it's long been said in in old uh, Indian lore that, you know, Sasquatch, Bigfoot Sasquatches are masters of ventriloquy. Um, ventrilo they were master uh, ventriloquist and uh, they were they had a they had a uh, obscene sense of humor about them. And uh, some of the things that I've noticed in some of these reports <laughs> and one of them uh, shows up in, in that uh, missing 411 book. I've, I have four of those books and um, I've read them several times. And um, um, one of them uh, spoke of uh, <coughs> a, a little guy, a little boy going missing with his dog. And um, they found his dog. They found his dog. Um, in one of those septic tanks with a concrete, heavy concrete top pulled over the top. And, um, oh. and uh, you know, you think about that. I don't know. I don't know if anybody here still uses a septic tank, but I know in the rural areas, they still use those. They don't have city water, city sewer. So they still use those. My sister has a septic tank. Okay, so so those those vaults, it's like a it's like a uh, burial vault. Sure, they're very heavy. They got they got handles in them, so you can use heavy machinery to, to lift them. And uh, the question is, if if a Sasquatch didn't do that, who did? Who had the strength to pick up uh, that concrete top, put the dog in there, and put the top That's back over it? A very talented dog. He teleported. That is yeah, a talented dog. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very talented dog. Um, another, was, another. That was the dog alive or, or dead? Uh, I, I believe the dog was dead. Okay. You know, you ah. cut off the air and oxygen, it dies. Another strange incident was uh, a sheep herder that went missing, and uh, they found him away from away from the area where his where he was supposed to be. His clothes were partially burned. And his mouth was packed with sand. Mm. Now you read you read my bio, and one of the things that I recall, one of the tortures that people would be subject subjected to with some organizations were um, were bending the, the individual backwards and shaking a uh, a hot Coca Cola. You know how it fizzes? Mm -hmm. You pop the top and, and point it towards the nose, and that's what they're breathing. And it yeah. burns. It You know, it's the it, ultimate it would burn uh, like crazy. brain freeze. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, 
That's what it reminded me of. That's exactly what it reminded me of. But, you know, we're talking about sand in the mouth, burnt clothes, singed, seared clothes. Um, was that something else? Was it uh, Bigfoot related? I don't know. But again, uh, you know, old Indian lore says, you know, these things have an obscene sense of, of humor. And one of the things that, one of the things that they note in the old writings was that, um, you know, uh, a person, a person disfavored by those individuals will turn them upside down and rip them in half. Like, like chiffon, you know, chiffon is very thin fabric, uh -huh. see-through fabric, turn them upside down, open their legs and rip them. And leave them like that. This is a message. This is like a business card. Like you would knock on the door to sell carpets, vacuum cleaners, lawn care. You know, this is this is my business. This is what I do. You want some of this? Come and come and look for me. You'll get some of this. Well, yeah. The message would be, go away. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. That'd be my message. One. I'm going to jump in here for a second. I mean, one of the things that I have always found really fascinating about Val's data approach is that occasionally people will will post a story that's a little bit out of the mainstream, unusual, uh, such as a Bigfoot being sided with, with clothing, you know, or a Bigfoot being inside a residence or something. And, <laughs> you know, that same day, Val can come up with, you know, a dozen reports or more <laughs> of each of these kind of anomalous uh happenings uh is that that's pretty much correct val isn't it i mean yes yeah i i you know you see that over and over again when when people go to that site um and that's some of the reasons why you know i i've become bitter with with some people because of the threats and stuff mm -hmm. um i've not been welcomed by uh bfro people in fact i've uh a few people were were friendly to me. Some came to me with this with this arrogant sense of of entitlement, you know, uh, feigning that they were curious and interested. Oh, this is remarkable work. Uh, show me how you're doing it. Okay, so I, I explained it, but they wanted more and more, and then it got to the point where they were baring their teeth. You know, how come you're doing this and you're not BFRO and stuff? And I said, look, I'm going to tell you something, just so you understand. You're not getting anything that you're not entitled to. And that's the way it is. Uh, you call yourself an investigator. I says, to be honest with you, uh, I scoff at that. Uh, it doesn't mean anything to me. What means something to me is, is a true investigator um, goes through <clears throat> months and months of, of classroom um, academics, study, um, practical work, hands-on, repeated routine updates and in the field training, that means something to me. This idea that you pay a fee and you, be, and, and you bow down <laughs> on a knee and you're, you're suddenly knighted with this, this fictitious title and stuff. 
And, and we, we, um, we give you an infrared camera and something to hit trees with. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> you know, that's essentially it. I'm, I'm not doing it. I'm not about that. Now, uh, that's that's Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization. Is that what that is? BFRO? Right. Yeah. Is that is that like the equivalent of MUFON? I think, is that Matt Moneymaker's organization? Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, it, so. it's, it's, it's essentially the organization, Dave, that you're going to see responsible for 90% of all of the History Channel silly shows. Oh, okay. And they're, and they're uh, quite frankly, they're the authority that news media goes to. Yes. Mm-hmm. So Any not questions? quite like MUFON. Uh, you know, I'm not familiar with, I heard that they, uh, I heard that they were not a, uh, it, 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 there was a lot of politics involved in that. And, and that's all I know about it, you know, and I'm, I really shouldn't even speak on that because I don't know for a fact. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not, it, it was just never a, a uh, interest with me, but I can tell you this because you broached the topic. <clears throat> There, there are more than a couple dozen reports involving Bigfoots and UFOs. Mm-hmm. I will never admit that on a group site because I don't want, I don't want that group <laughs> you site. Don't, you don't want things I, to evolve in that direction. No, I don't want the genre to change. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the, the stated genre is what it is. And if I allow that, then it'll be overwhelmed and taken over essentially with all kinds of pictures, drawings, cartoons, uh, so on and so forth. But I uh, I think that that's something that we see in each of the sort of paranormal worlds, right? Now I was going to bring it up when you, when you mentioned uh, ghost hunters or, you know, those investigators finding, having Bigfoot sightings, it's the same thing. There seems to be, uh, some correlation where a lot of experiencers are having experiences across multiple spectrums. Uh, They have a UFO sighting and the next thing you know, you know, there's activity in their house that could be paranormal or they're walking on a path in the woods and they see a Bigfoot. There seems to be sort of this uh, uh, effect of, well, once that door's open, now all of a sudden you start seeing things from all kinds of different mm-hmm. unusual realms. Mm-hmm. So any chink in that armor, that first experience, opens you up to other things. You know, I I think that's well stated, and it and it has some substance. Can I can I uh, switch this topic over to my experience, my personal experiences? Sure. Um, sure. with, with ghosts and apparitions and stuff like that. Um, you might recognize that, that I outwardly, I appear to be a very serious, uh, individual. So, uh, when I tell you this, this is from my own eyes and my own heart that I say this, um, um, I was aware of of that kind of stuff as a as a little boy growing up, but you know I never really gave it much thought. I didn't preoccupy myself with that. There was other pressing issues in my life, you know, uh, poverty, uh, all that kind of stuff, real stuff to kids that kids don't need to be occupied with. But um, as a as a um, 
grown adult. I was, it was, it was three o'clock in the morning and, uh, it was, it was in October. It was dark and I was, uh, radio calls had slowed down and, um, I was just watching the traffic slide through the, the intersection. Uh, it was very cold. There was a, uh, constant shower drizzle out there. So it was one of those nights where I really, really didn't want to get out of the car for anything, but I was listening to the radio, both radios, multitasking, you might call it. And um, while looking straight ahead, I seen movement that caught my attention. And I looked and I see a man dressed in what appeared to be period dress. I'm talking about 1900s dress, walking from the side of a, a house, a old brick house across the driveway. And, and uh, my first thought and temptation was to to uh, get on the radio and call for a, another car because this looks like a thief to me it had all the the indicators you know this is a thief out here prowling around snoof, sniffing around somebody's house property and stuff at night uh, he didn't have a jacket on he didn't have a, a clothing uh, to fit the the coldness the dampness and stuff like that but uh, I watched him. And gentlemen, the funny part about this was when he walked, it, it was almost as though he was gliding, you know, like a, like a, uh, like a skier, uh -huh. you know, on, on, with, with uh, blades on his feet, like he was sliding. I'd never seen his feet. I didn't see the shoes on his feet, but I, I seen his motion. And he walked, uh, like I said, he walked from the, the, uh, the, the brick side of the house and it was one of the points that I was going to make when, when I leave, I want to check and see if there was a door there. Maybe, you know, maybe somebody lives there and I don't know. And, you know, they're, they're going to their car to, to leave, go home. So he walks to a car. The car is all beaded up. The windows beaded up with condensation. It's very cold. And, and um, I didn't see the dome light go on in the car. The car was fairly new. So it, it had to have had a, a dome light on it. Uh-huh. I didn't see the dome light come on. I didn't see the the uh, steam, the condensation uh, come out of the exhaust when you start the car up. I didn't see the white uh, backup lights come on. So I know the car wasn't started. In fact, the driver's door didn't open up. He just melted into the side of the car. And um, I was so glad that I didn't call on radio for, for a backup <laughs> because that was going to be me to explain that. <laughs> Definitely. Well, how, how would a policeman, let's say that you had and people show up, what would you have explained? Well, uh, I had an experience early on uh, when I was a young rookie where at a time when, when the uh, 911 calls, uh, caller IDs came out and they called it enhanced 911, which meant that if you called 911, your phone number, your name, your address, and any notes, any any uh, particular notes about that call would come up for the dispatcher. They would see it. They would know exactly what, what the purpose of the call is. And, of course, they would dialogue with the, with the caller. On this particular day, um, I was assigned a, a, a two-man car. And... Mm -hmm. um, uh, we were sent on a on a rescue call, 
back then in those days um, of the caller ID types, uh, people had to go to these rescue calls. If they had heart attacks, you were sent. You went with the rescue. And uh, you better hope that you're not there before the rescue shows up because you're going to be expected to do CPR. Nobody, nobody had ever lived when I'd done CPR. Very few people do. Yeah. And, and it's sad. It's, it's emotionally, it's, it's draining, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a fact of the matter. And nobody wants to hear. <coughs> when you're doing CPR, I don't know if you've ever done it before. Many times. Yeah, when you do it. Yeah, Victor, you would. When you do it, uh, it's it's like it's like uh, it's like uh, you leaning on a, a carton of eggshells. Mm-hmm. That's you a hear good, the crunching and the breaking. That's a good analogy. You're breaking ribs. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens. Mm-hmm. We're not experts. You know, we do it only when it's needed. Um, so, anyways, uh, we were sent to this call. This woman claims that she's having a heart attack. She needs medical rescue now. And the address comes up. They radio out the address. We're heading mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not far from the location. And the dispatcher was told we're, we're en route. And uh, she comes back and says, well, I got a second call. Same person, same address. She wants help there now. She's dying of a heart attack. And, you know, again, the conversation with the dispatcher was, okay, we're, we're minutes away. We're going to be pulling up shortly here. And uh, my last conversation with the dispatcher was, um, we're arriving, and I see the rescue in the rearview mirror. They're pulling up alongside of me. Lights flashing. All the window dressing. We stop. My partner's looking over my shoulder, and he's asking me, Val, where is it? Where's the address at? And guys. I looked and I pointed over at a parking lot and I said, there's the address right there. I says, uh-huh. you know, I remember being at this house years ago when the husband died of a heart attack Yeah, and his house is gone. The, the, the property went into probate. The family sold it to the school board. The school board tore the house down. They made a parking lot of it. It doesn't exist. The question is, what do you do when you get calls like that? That was a very real call. That uh-huh. address of that house came up on the caller ID. It came up on the computer. Uh-huh. There was a real voice there. And the name of the resident, the lady who, who obviously died, now husband and wife both died or deceased, her name comes up and her voice is on that, on that uh, caller ID, on that you know, soundboard. So um, rescue pulled alongside the window and they said, where's it at? And I showed it to them too. I said, it's that parking lot right there. Well, there's no house there. (laughs) Just the look on their face when they seen that, I shut the lights off. Gentlemen, you see me on camera again, this motion with your ears up, they go down. You shut the lights off and you don't talk about it again. You just don't talk about it again. You don't talk about it. You tell the dispatch, you know, we're clear the call, unfounded, unfounded. And nobody exist. will dispute that. That's it. Nobody questions. How often do you figure that happens? It's hard to say. Uh, I mean, I, is I it a know. frequent thing or is it? I, I, you know, it's hard to say. That was, that's been my experience. That's my first experience. But another uh, strange situation that I encountered years later 
um, was a little boy called rescue and said that uh, this is again, middle of the night, three o'clock in the morning, uh, old part of town, wood frame houses, old wood frame houses, claiming that his dad was on fire. He needs, he needs help. Now his dad is on fire. How does the dad get on fire? So well, uh, I not through anything good. No, no. <laughs> uh, but you guys have heard of spontaneous combustion before. I have. Oh yeah. That's one of our topics. So, and again, you know, uh, you know, I was a seasoned officer. I've seen uh-huh. a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. I didn't see it all, but I seen a lot. But um, you know, I, I head over to the address. Um, so I'm accustomed to hearing the large diesel engines, the Detroit diesel engines in those fire trucks whining up. And firefighters are always teased about sleeping. You know, they get to sleep. We're out here working. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's their shift. That's what they do. Well, so their shift is what, three days on and three days off or something, something like, like that? that. Yeah. yeah. It's a good gig, especially yeah. if you have uh, college and uh-huh. you're going to school and you got a, you're an electrician, you know, you get side jobs and stuff like that. It's a good gig. Um, so uh, when I get over there, I notice that two other officers are, had already arrived. And it, while I'm en route to that place, I'm looking in the sky because when you have a house fully engulfed in flames, yeah. the sky glows. Yeah, you can see it. Yeah, You can smell it. Mm-hmm. You, you, can't, uh, you can't unsmell it. You can smell the wood and everything else in the house. So uh, I get there. I'm watching the officers um, walk up to the porch. <clears throat> they open up the door. They go inside. I grab my keys. I get out of my car, jingle, 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 and I make my way to the to the porch also. And before I can get up on top of the porch, these officers are scooting out of that house. And I said hello to them, you know, greet them. Hey, what's going on? What did you see? They weren't going to talk to me. They weren't going to look at me. They 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 got out of that house like they, they were just on wanted fire. to be gone. They wanted to be gone. Mm-hmm. And uh, they went back to the car and stayed in the car until the fire trucks arrived. So I walk inside the door that's left open. The lights are on in the living room. And I, ex- I half expected that somebody would come to the door and, and say, officer, you know, I'm sorry. You know, it was a mistake. We, we overcooked our, our dinner and supper and blah, blah, blah. It mm-hmm. happens. But nobody met me at the door. And um, I walk in and I'm saying, hello, police. Anybody home? Hello, police. Anybody home? No, no response. I see the steps going upstairs. I didn't go upstairs to search a house. I didn't do a search. I wasn't there to search the house. I, I want somebody to come to me and tell me, you know, what where's, the emergency is. Where's the burning father? Yes. I don't see a father either, mm-hmm. which is even more puzzling. So I start walking around the living room and I'm looking. This is strange. This is very, very strange. So I'm looking around. I don't see anything in the living room. I walk through the kitchen. The kitchen is very modest. It's old. So I think it has linoleum on the hardwood pine floors, which, you know, if, if there was a fire, that would go up like a, like a tinderbox. Sure. Nobody around. Um, I walked through the kitchen to the, apparently the back door where the utility room is. Nothing, nothing there. I look in a bedroom 
the poor people that lived there, it was clean. The place was clean. It was not dirty. But they didn't even have a bed. They have a mattress on the floor, you know, like a bachelor. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, remember, I remember a time when I was divorced. That's that's how this boy lived. <laughs> he lived, you know. I'm not laughing at you. I've been, I've been to the same place. No, so. I, you know, I understand. So I don't see anything, gentlemen. I, I, I walk back out of that bedroom. Incidentally, I don't see any drug paraphernalia, nothing. And I'm not, again, I'm not there to, to conduct a search. I just want somebody to, to talk to me, tell me what's going on. I go back into the living room and this is so strange. I'm standing there looking around and my eyes are, are guided up to the ceiling. For some reason, I looked up at the ceiling and, uh, there's what I see as a black ring that goes, you know, where the wall and the ceiling meet uh-huh. in, that, in that crevice. Uh-huh. All the way around this house, there's black, black soot or something. Wow. And I've never seen this before. I'm not a fire arson investigator, um, but I've never seen this before. I've seen a lot of stuff, but I've never seen this before. So I go back into the kitchen and I'm looking around. This is not making sense to me. And, and I have somewhat of an analytical mind and I'm thinking, you know, I'm trying to figure this out, put these things together. You know, where is everybody? Where's the man on fire? I look at the stove and, and uh, it had a kettle with a top on it. <clears throat> I touched it. I even lifted the top to see what was in the kettle because it was warm to the touch as though somebody was cooking food and shut, had enough wherewithal to shut the burner off but I still don't see anybody. So I go back into the living room and you remember I was telling you about when, when you step into an environment, you feel that sensation of somebody looking at you. Yeah, there's the energy of the environment or something. I turn around and I see this little boy with black hair. He looked like the little boy off the Omen movie. Oh, and he's boy. not saying anything. He's petting a cat, a black cat, mind you. And I'm and I look at him and I and I says hi hello, police. I says uh, is your mom and dad around? Nothing, no response. Nothing mm-hmm. came out of his mouth. Now either the little boy is in shock, which is possible. Mm-hmm. I don't rule it out. I said where's your where's your dad and mom at? Apparently it was a it was a single father raising his small child by himself, mm-hmm. and um, I walked back into the living room, pulled the chair away from the cheap dinette wooden dinette set and there i see a charcoal man underneath the table charcoal wow. charcoal Whew. do you hear what i'm saying gentlemen yeah you're talking yeah you know full classic case spontaneous human combustion where and i'm i'm squatting down because i'm getting the full you know i don't want to smell something but i'm i'm, I'm squatting down now mm-hmm. and i'm i'm getting a, a a bird's eye view of this and I noticed that uh, his blue jeans weren't burned all the way up to his waist. In other words, his legs were burned, charcoaled, uh-huh. his hands, his face uh, were all charcoaled. But, you know, the fire must have been so intense that it burned him up, but it, yet it didn't burn the, the pine wood floors or the, the cheap wood dinette set. Correct. And he's underneath the table. How did he get underneath the table? I, who I, knows? All I seen was the, the, the black legs. And so uh, moments later, I can hear that familiar 
wind of the Detroit uh, diesel engines and the lights flashing. Mm-hmm. And within seconds, you know, uh, the door burst open and I met with a, uh, a whole troop of, of firefighters dressed to slay a, a dragon. You know, they're carrying axes and uh, one of them is toting a uh, box fan that they use, you know, to blow the smoke out and stuff. And another one, you know, is carrying a hose or a fire extinguisher or something. And the captain looks at me and he said, but what do you got, Val? Because he sees me squatting down. I says, I don't know. I, I don't know. And uh, at that point, I stood up, stood away, allowed the captain to take a peek at this, you know, along with the uh, crowd of uh, firefighters. And, uh, I, you know, I don't remember seeing a little boy again at that point. And I do remember that the uh, detective in charge was on scene and he, you know, I handed over the, the case to him. And he asked me, Val, what do you got? I says, I don't know. Uh, I says, I checked, I, 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 I did a cursory check of the bedroom. I says, I don't see any indication of uh, drug use, you know, um, where, where anything could have happened. There's no damage in the bedroom, but this is the way, you know, I, I found you're not, this. You're not finding accelerants or any no, of that sort of no, thing? No, no, none at all. So the fascinating so, thing to me is the ring of soot around the corner of the ceiling. Mm-hmm. So was there, was there, he was under a table? Under, underneath the table. Was underneath was the, the table. table burned? No, not at all. Whatever was left of him was under the table. <laughs> yes. And, yes. Um, and no, no burn marks on the walls, no burn marks on the floor. On just, the carpet, on the floor, on the table, on the underside of the table. Just him. Nothing. Just, just him. him mm-hmm. And a ring of soot around mm-hmm. the That's fascinating. And yeah. a little boy who <coughs> reported the event, but then yeah. disappears. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, that's those are the types of things, <laughs> you know, that people run into. And they are very real. You know, you can't explain it. But um, in my own case, before... <coughs> I'm looking at the time, gentlemen. Um, before I got involved in this, in this uh, search for this missing individual, um, as as could be expected, you work midnights for 15 years. Uh-huh. That's a man. That's a lot on your body. That's very taxing. Your body never gets used to it completely. No, no. no. I missed so many special times, you know, with my family. Mm-hmm. I really did. I missed a lot of Christmases, uh, Thanksgivings, birthdays. You know, special days, you know, go out with my daughters. Those are, you know, and, and, and I love my, my kids. I was very, very attached to them. And, uh, you know, but this is what I did. This came with, you know, the work. And um, what I'm telling you is uh, when, when I did go to sleep, when I did go to sleep, uh, it was usually a, a good fitful sleep and um, to the point where, you know, I would just pass out just completely, totally exhausted. Mm-hmm. And um, one night while laying in bed with my wife, I don't know why I can't explain why, but my eyes opened up and I seen an Indian man uh, standing in the doorway between the master bedroom and the master bath. 
And my first thought was, oh my gosh, this is a thief. They broke into my house and he's dressed like that. I want to get up and go to my closet and get my gun. I'm going to take care of this business right now. <laughs> the issue was, I, and I tried to wake my wife up and um, she wouldn't wake. She wouldn't stir. And I've read about these things before, gentlemen. So I was familiar with this. And, I, and then I thought, again, with a lucid mind, I thought that this is what people call um, NDD or, or, or something, you know, out-of-body experience. Oh, yeah, OBE yeah. or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I was resolute with that. And um, I was staring at this, this figure, this individual, Again, dressed in period dress, not, you know, not with the Cheyenne Indian uh, long chieftain, you know, uh, hat with feathers and stuff. This looked like a uh, Aboriginal early um, Iroquois Huron Indian uh, individual. And to my surprise, in that state of mind, um, the individual acknowledged me, not through voice communication, but through the eyes. And I was meant to felt as though, meant to feel as though he was communicating to me, hey, I'm sorry, I'm, you know, I'm sorry that, that I startled you. I don't mean to startle you. I'm surprised that you were able to see me. I'm just passing through. Relax. I'm not here to harm you. You know, I'm just passing through is what I remember. Uh -huh. And with that, I went back to sleep <coughs> and the next morning, you know, it was nice and bright and sunny and, and I look over there to the doorway and there's nothing there, but that was, that was an odd occurrence to me. That's the first and only time that I've ever seen something like that in my uh -huh. house. Right. And, uh, you know, I had to call my sister about it and explain to her because in the, and I'm Mexican by by ancestry mm -hmm. and uh in our culture i've been told about things that um, my grandmother was involved in and and some of the things that they were able to do and i can't confirm this they're they're all dead and gone now but you know um uh, my grandmother didn't speak english she spoke spanish very thick Spanish, but I know she loved me. I was a little boy. And um, I know that some of these things that were told to me by my aunt on my mother's side was that uh, the, some of these people, relatives, um, if if you piss them off, if, if you, if you, um, if you, uh, get on their wrong get, side. Get on their wrong side. Mm -hmm. um, they will visit you in a dream. And to, to let you know that they were there, you will see them, and you will see something that they leave to remind you, I was here. Remember this. Remember this and mm -hmm. try to not to get on my bad side again. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know if that has anything to do, but that was one of the reasons why I had to, to call my sister, who was at the time in Central America in mm -hmm. Belize, so I had to wait for her to return to ask her if, you know, if she did something, that, that, right. you know, as a joke or something, you know, because I didn't find this, I didn't find this humorous at all. Mm -hmm. uh, this is like an intrusion in my home. So um, 
again, this kind of sets me into this into this place where um, um, I get a thought in my head three o'clock in the morning to call this woman in Ohio who who has has this missing son, eighteen year old missing son who went down to Daytona, Florida, hitchhiked down there, and was on his way back hitchhiking to across the deep south, in particular Louisiana. And uh, he was on his way to Houston, Texas to meet his cousins. And he disappeared. His his mother didn't drive. She was a poor woman. And um, he just disappeared. And he's been gone all these days. So, you know, I was, I was compelled to, to, I was moved to call his mother three o'clock in the morning. You know, gentlemen, three o'clock in the morning to me is like midday to normal people that, sure. that, that aren't owls and they, you know, they're not awake all night. So I'm sure that at, at uh, 79 years old, this, this woman might've been to sleep, might've been asleep since six o'clock the, the previous day. And here I am calling her at three o'clock in the morning. My question to her was, <laughs> she knew who I was after we exchanged uh, greetings and stuff. I asked her, I says, can, can you tell me everything that you remember when your son went missing? And gentlemen, she cried and wept on the floor, on the phone there with me, this, this older woman. And I listened to her and, and when she was done and, and composed herself, I cleared my throat because this is my next proposition. I says, listen to me very carefully. I says, I'm going to make a promise to you that I'm going to look for your son and I'm going to bring him home to you. No matter where he is, no matter, you know, what has happened, I'm going to bring him home to you. And she thanked me profusely. And um, when, when we disconnected the phone call, I thought to myself, I, I had that sneaking temptation again, gentlemen, to, to second guess, you know, what, what did I, what were the words that just passed through my lips? How am I going to do this? You know how difficult it is to, to track down somebody 30, 31 years later? It's very difficult. I would think that it would almost be impossible, especially it, back it, when, it when there were not ubiquitous computer records and that sort of thing. It, it really was. But, you know, I fought back the temptation. Um, I didn't want to go there. That's negative, gentlemen. Mm -hmm. And uh, the same feeling I had when, when I commandeered a, a yacht, when, when a boat capsized on a river, and we didn't have a boat ready and available to us, I went into a bar, a private bar, a private club, exclusive club, and pulled a drunk off off the uh, off the bar stool, and um, and I asked him. I says, uh, "Do you have a boat?" And he laughed at me. Well, he's slamming those cognacs. He laughed at me because that's not the that's not the the correct <coughs> speak. And I, you know, I'm not a mariner, so I don't know anything about that. <laughs> but no, he said, you know, it's, uh, partly in a uh, sarcastic tone, he said. I don't have a boat. I have a yacht. I have a yacht. Of yeah, course. And, you know, I was taken <laughs> back with that, you know, oh, wow. Um, and I said, okay. And I'm still standing at the doorway 
like a specter. And I says, my name is Valentino Zavala. And I says, I'm letting you know that I'm a police officer and I'm commandeering your boat. He said, what? He took another slam. I says, I'm commandeering your boat. I'm taking your boat. We have an emergency. And he, you know, said, officer, can I, can I operate it? Oh yeah. I said, yeah, I, I, I don't know anything about yachts. <laughs> I never, I never stepped foot on a yacht before in my life. So uh, the parallel to, to that is um, in that type of work, uh, when, when the troops are out, you know, you know, I did a couple tours in the military. When the troops are out, the commander, the person in charge doesn't go home until his people are accounted for. That's the proper way. That's the proper protocol. So as much as he hates that, uh, there has to be a good reason why you're not coming in, you know, for a shift change. And we didn't show up. Me and another officer didn't show up. Now he's on the radio uh, screaming at me, asking me where I'm at. And um, it got to the point where I just shut the radio off. I told him I was on the river and, you know, he just about had a fit on the radio. So I shut it off. And uh, the long story is um, we couldn't find this guy. There was no headlights on a, on a yacht like a car. Again, you know, the, the gentleman kind of made fun of me. When, when I ask him to turn the lights on, there, there aren't headlights on this. So there's, I had the temptation and thoughts in my head that, you know, I'm going to be charged with murder, even, even as a good Samaritan act, if I don't find this man, if, if some, by somehow um, this, this large ship, this craft runs over this gentleman. Runs over the guy. Yes. Runs over the guy. I mean, those are thoughts in my head. I'm going to be fired. I'm going to be, uh, my name's going to be all over the newspaper. I'm going to be on the news, you know, and, and in my mind, in my mind's eye, I see my name and that's not pretty. That's not pretty to me. I'm trying to do a noble thing, a righteous thing. And these thoughts keep, keep, uh, seeping in there and I push them away. And uh, gentlemen, just as, as, as we were resigned to the fact that we we're not going to find this man. Um, the boat capsized in Detroit. The boat was found in Lake Erie, bobbing uh, upright, reported by a, uh, a large ore carrier to the Coast Guard. The Coast Guard alerted us, you know, and then somebody, witnesses said that they heard voices out in the blackness. You know, it's dark. It's black. Mm -hmm. There's no mm -hmm. lights. Yeah. The water is black. It's cold. It's October. Uh, witnesses said they heard voices screaming for help. That's the reason why, you know, I went in there and, and did that bold act of commandeering this man's yacht. This <laughs> man's yacht. But um, uh, as, as I was resigned to the fact that we're not going to find this gentleman, I happened to sweep across the, the uh, water with my flashlight, and I seen a white object holding on to a buoy, one of those, those markers that they use. It's like a lane marker. And that was him. So we, we got him aboard, took him to the, uh, the dock area, got him in the car, the squad, run him over to the uh, emergency room where he was treated for hyperthermia. And then, of course, you know, I end up uh, talking to the commander. He want, he's, you know, he's not going home and he's upset. He wants to go home. And, and uh, I wasn't responding to his calls on the radio because I shut it off. 
and uh, he was screaming profanities at me and stuff. And, you know, I took it in, you know, that's, I took that as, as part of the job. This is what you do. You know, I messed up, but we did a righteous thing. And um, one of the first things that I told the Lieutenant was when, when he paused, I says, can I speak now? Because, you know, at that moment with all those profanities and stuff, you're going to get fired. You're going to do this and that and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he was, he, was, he was totally venting. Yes, he, he was. Mm-hmm. He's a man, just like me. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a man. And, and I respect that man. I, I respected him the day he retired. I respected him. But I told him, I says, Lieutenant, I says, I have never, you have never heard curse words come out of my mouth, past my lips, and you've never heard them directed towards you. Don't ever talk to me like that again. Don't ever do that. I says, I don't, I don't respond well to that. Uh, don't do it to me. You know, that's the respect I have for you and the courtesy I show you. But you earn that respect and you earn that courtesy. And I says, whatever we did, I felt it was the right thing to do. And I says, as far as the other officer goes, don't charge him with anything. I says, you do what you got to do. I says, I did what I had to do. Uh, the man's life was saved. Apparently, both men, there were two men on that boat, both of yeah, them were saved, but I was only concerned with one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, a man's life was saved. He's okay. And uh, you do what you got to do. And, uh, and then he stood there looking at me, and, and I says, is that it? I mean, everybody in the station house in the precinct, you know, had something to do right there at that window <laughs> yeah. in the doorway cracked. Listen, yes, they wanted to hear the show. Yes, it was entertainment. I mean, that was the best thing that ever happened to them. You know, all the crime going on at city and stuff, and, and they had something to do. They lost crackers. They misplaced something, a pencil or something. They wanted to listen. And uh, when he excused me to go write my reports, I edged to the door. And before I could open up the door, he says, hey, Val, he says, come on back in here, shut the door. And I did. And he apologized like a man. I apologize for what I said. You did a good job and you will be recognized for that. And, and you do your report. I'm going to do mine. I have to turn this in and, and to the administration. They've already been notified. You commandeered a boat. You took a boat. You hijacked <laughs> it. <laughs> so, um, so I did. And uh, so back to the, back to the fire that's the same kind of feeling, you know, there was uh, a temptation to, to think uh, negative things, but you have to, you have to stay positive and fight that temptation. You're doing the right thing. You're doing the right thing. The righteous thing with the, with the, uh, with that specter in my house, that's, that was startling to me. I've never seen that before. I don't know what that is. I don't, I, you know, it was a burglar. It was a thief. Somebody, some idiot broke into my house dressed like that. Dressed like an Indian, <laughs> which happens all the time. <laughs> hey, hey, I, I live outside Detroit. Yeah, Anything can true. happen. Anything can happen. Anything. So, um, so uh, the lieutenant that I was talking about, the commander at the time, his wife calls me one day. I don't know, the week after I talked to this woman in Ohio, 
And out of the blue, she said, Val, are you, are you working day shift this week? And I says, well, yeah, I am. I'm working day shift tomorrow. I rarely work day shift. In fact, I worked midnights for so long that uh, people would, would think I was a rookie. They want to know where I came from. Uh-huh. How come I never seen you before? Well, uh-huh. you know, I'm out there. And uh, so I says, yeah, as a matter of fact, I am working. <clears throat> well, some lady wants to meet you. And gentlemen, when you're in that kind of work and you get a call like that, some woman wants to meet you, your antenna should go up immediately. Yeah. That, it, it might not be good. It's yeah. not a moment of immediate comfort. No, no. So I, I don't know who she is. She wouldn't say who that is. I don't know. You'll see when you get over here. So when I get over there, this middle-aged woman is, is waiting there. And the first thing that comes out of her mouth is she looks at me, she looks at my eyes, and she says, you're an old soul. And, and, you know, I'm taken back by this. Who is this stranger, you know, that I don't know? She's coming up to me and asking me, you know, telling me this. And then she says, um, do you want to know how you died in your previous life? And I said, no. <laughs> you know, I, I'm still not sure how, you know, she connected with me, why she wanted to talk to me. She says, oh, yeah. She said, you've been here many times before. And uh, then she started asking health questions. Do you have headaches? And well, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, the warrior and headaches, I don't want to hear any more of this stuff. So um, this woman's just out of the blue, random, yes. never have met her before. No, never. I'm convinced of that. Never. No. But um, the conversation goes on. She says, who is this woman that I see with you all the time? This, this tall, dark, regal woman. I says, well, I don't know. She says, well, she's very attached to you. And she follows you all around. She's always with you, looking over your shoulder as though you're special to her. Like a child, like a grandchild, like a, like a, like a you know, like a, like a sibling, you know. Sounds I like says, you have a stalker. And I'm not talking about the tall woman that's following mm-hmm. you around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How does she know that somebody's following you around all the time? Well, uh, you know, well, to the, to the point here, here's where it gets sticky. She says to me, she looks at me sideways and I've seen, I recognized that look before and it wasn't good. She says, you're looking for somebody. She says, don't give me a long story. Don't give me a long answer. Just a yes or no. And I said, yes, because I had just spoken to this woman in Ohio. She says, I don't see that person on this plane. It doesn't mean that they're dead. It doesn't mean that they're alive. It just means that I don't see them. I don't sense it. I don't feel it. Okay. She says, um, you know, with that sideways uh, look again in my eyes, she says, they know you're looking for them. They'll let you know when they're ready to be found. That was one of the last things that she said. But one of the other things that she said was, was um, be careful with your health. She says, I'm not here to threaten you or, or to frighten you or anything. But she says, I just want to tell you, I see a red car. I see a red brown taillights and I hear gunshots. You're, you're, at no, you're, you're alone at night. And that's what I see. That's what I hear. And that's my message to you. 
So that's what put me on on a trail to this. So uh, I went to my administration and, and fully advised them of what I was doing. I didn't ask for approval. Uh, they were they were aware of what I was going to do, and I, I took I took some time. I took a lot of bank time that I had, vacation time that I had stored up. And I spent that time uh, fishing through a huge, massive missing persons database called NAMUS. The acronym is NAMUS, N-A-M-U-S. It's huge. It's fed. It's, it's uh, provided by Homeland Security and the Justice Department, Department of Justice. And gentlemen, there's hundreds of thousands of names in there. People and there's who people- just disappeared. People that disappeared, people that mm-hmm. are found with no IDs, mm-hmm. and uh, some of them, some of them have reports, and some of them have pictures, graphic pictures attached to them. Mm-hmm. So I spent a lot of time fishing through this stuff, and it's not healthy. It's not good to 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 look through this stuff. It really isn't. There's no bona fide um, good that's going to come out of that. But I did because I I, I thought it was a chance. I know what his route was when he disappeared. And um, I tried to make the connection of where he would go. And uh, some of the things that I came across when I was doing this was, um, and I was listening to, again, Art Bell and the author of Missing 411. And they were talking about, you know, missing people. And there I realized how many missing people go missing in national parks? And I think at that point, I, I actually called. I don't know how I did, but I called. I don't remember how I was put in touch with him, but I, I guess there's just mysterious ways that you do that. And I talked to uh, the author so by David, phone. David Pilates? Yeah. Pilates? Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. And uh, because uh, some of the work I was doing was um, uh, researching people. And uh, I, I stumbled upon uh, these articles, a number of them uh, depicting and describing feet with shoes found. Mm-hmm. That's it. And so I was asked, <coughs> I was asking him, are you aware of this in British Columbia? And uh, he sounded surprised, uh, but I don't know. But um, um, and then I mentioned, I think I mentioned to him, I says, well, you know, there's, uh, there's, uh, some bad people that have been connected to serial murders of, of prostitutes and, and feeding their, their corpses to pigs. And then they sell the pork to, to markets in, in America. So people eat the pork, you know, from these, these animals that, that ate the people. How grisly is that? That's horrible. And, and he sounded surprised and stuff. And I said, but well, that's what I was working on. And I said, that's the reason why I wanted to touch base with you to find out if, if uh, there was some connection between, you know, the, the, the shoes, the legs, the feet that were found and this other thing. Were, were, those, the, was, were those the feet that were being found in, on a beach or elsewhere? Different places. Different inlets, places. Yeah. Inlets and, and stuff. Okay. So um, 
you know, anyways, I went back about my business, doing what I was doing. And uh, I was on this hiatus away from work, you know, using my own time, mm-hmm. spending a lot of hours during my off time, uh, fishing through databases and, and researching data. I'm looking for clues. Mm-hmm. And um, I asked the I asked the mother in Ohio, I asked her, I says, do you have, do you have, uh, by chance, do you have old phone bills? You said your son called you collect. Do you have the old phone bills? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, honey, I have that. I kept them all. I said, can you see, can you show them to me? And she did. I seen the collect calls. I seen the calls generated from uh, a parish in Louisiana called um, um, what? Uh, what parish was that? I, I forget now. Was it a Sorry, northern parish or a southern parish? No, it's, a, it's kind of it's kind of around um, Lafayette okay. parish, mm-hmm. around uh, Shreveport. Oh, around Shreveport is Caddo Parish. That's where I was born. It, it was in that area, and and he was calling from a truck stop allegedly. Well, the truck stop isn't there anymore. You know, thirty years, thirty-one years later, it's mm-hmm. not there. It doesn't exist. It's a, it's a shopping center or whatever. And um, so the next issue I was going to face is is I need to get this individual entered into the National Crime Information Center mm-hmm. and that massive beast of a computer that goes all across the country. Mm-hmm. And I think that they share it with Canada too, if I'm not mistaken, but I can't do that. I can't do that because there was never a, a missing persons report made. So according to the mother, um, she, you know, she never had a driver's license. She never drove, didn't have a car. She wanted to go down there and get her son. That's, that's the motherly instinct. Yes, of course. This kid's uh, 18, 19 years old. He's telling her he's scared. Why are you scared? Because two men are bothering me. It seems to me she's, she's deceased now, but it seems to me that she mentioned two men in a blue green pickup truck. That's important to this. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so um, I said, okay, well, you got the phone numbers. I says, and she says, well, and, I, and I called the sheriff of that parish. I called the truck stop. They wouldn't give me any information. So I called the sheriff, mm-hmm. whose jurisdiction that was in. And I spoke to the sheriff. I says, oh, you spoke to the sheriff. Yeah, well, right here's his name and right here's his phone number. And I says, okay, I need that. So um, because I was associated with this, intelligence group and, and, and understand that I didn't use any law enforcement uh, resources available to me. That's illegal. You can't do that. Especially this is clearly out of my jurisdiction. This is something that I'm doing on my own. You're a private citizen in this part of the I world. Am. Mm-hmm. I am, but they know, they know that I, I am a police officer. Mm-hmm. They know exactly who I am. And I explained to them what I was doing. And the purpose of, of me doing this was, was an act of paying it forward. You know, it was an act of humanity, mm-hmm. you know. And um, when I explained that to them, they directed me to the forensic center that does the, the 
agency that does all the testing, criminal testing uh, in Louisiana. And it was it was explained to me, this is where uh, the state police and all the local agencies go and take their information, take their you know specimens to be tested and stuff. Mm-hmm. But if somebody outside the state comes here, we, we have to charge them a fee. There right. is a fee and it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's very expensive. Yeah, I would think so. So after explaining this to them, gentlemen, they all agreed. They all agreed that they want to be a part of this paying it forward act. Mm-hmm. And they told me, they said, they said, Val, tomorrow morning, be waiting at your doorstep because the UPS is going to show up next day air. And we're going to have two, two uh, DNA specimen kits right there waiting for you. You get your specimen and we're going to test it. No cost, no charge, free gratis. So that one simple act of paying it forward invoked a similar act by people um, that did not know me personally. And, and I think that that's, that's a remarkable thing. I, I don't believe in coincidences. I, I'm not one to sit here and tell you that I believe in coincidences. Everything in our life is, is purposeful. Everything in our life is done for a reason, but we just don't know it. And um, they did exactly what they said they were going to do. I went to Ohio, got together the mother and a daughter, the surviving daughter, the young man's sister, and took DNA swabs, packed it up, took a, took a statement from her, just like I was investigating a, a crime, typed it out so it was legible and, and um, proper, and turned that in, and then followed it up with a phone call. And asking them, uh, here's here's my specimen kits, um, and here's here's my report. And um, when I first approached the administration for Lafayette, they asked me, you know, hey Val, what what can I do for you? And I says, I need a missing persons report. Okay, no problem. When did this happen? I said about 30, 31 years ago, and I heard the I heard the ink pen drop on the table. You what? You know, you don't, it's unheard of. You don't go into someplace looking for a, a report to make a report 30 years old. It's just unheard of. Under the circumstances, and I, you know, I, I do what I do. I talk and, mm-hmm. and I persuade. But I told them, I says, this is what's going to happen. I says, this mother waited 30 to 31 years to find out what happened to her son, her phone conversation. I says, Oh, and by the way, I says, here's the phone record. She kept this phone record all these years. And I said, do you recognize this phone number? And he looked at it. He says, yeah, that's our old sheriff. Well, he's dead and gone now, but that's his office. And we still use that phone number. I said, that's amazing. I says, I says, what I need from you is a report number. That's all I need. I got the report and, and um, I need the report number because I need to get this into NCIC to get it on the computer. And that's, a, that's an official record at that point. But I need that to go forward with this because I know I'm going to have DNA samples. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> in my experience, in my learning, I know that DNA didn't come to the United States in 1980 when this, 83, when this young man disappeared. DNA didn't come to the United States until 1990s, early 1990s, and it came from UK. Mm-hmm. 
in, also in my experience, uh, sitting in on autopsies and stuff like that, I know that uh, like a librarian, if, if the cause of death is suspicious or, or they suspect foul play, they snip a tissue. Sure. And they, and they put it in a vial and pack it away and catalog it like a librarian. Because at some point in time, you know, with, with forethought, they, they think that, you know, the science could catch up and we're going to have a sample. And we're going to test this at some, someday in the future. And sure enough, they were, they were cognizant of that and they, they were uh, smart enough to do that. And now they had a sample. They had a sample of the tissue. And uh, uh, when the DNA sample came back, which was, which was perfect, by the way, um, it matched a John Doe that they had for 15 years, 20 years, whatever it was. Wow. In my travels, I talked to a retired uh, crime investigator for the Houston Chronicle. And she shared with me, you know, this is another gumshoe sleuth. She shared with me, you know, in, in the time period that this individual disappeared, <clears throat> um, we in the media knew of, of 26, 27 possible serial killers on the loose in that area in that corridor between Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana, all center, all centered around uh, I-10. I-10 runs from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean, the right. only interstate in the United States that does this. And all along the way, there's, there's devastation to be found. All along the way. So uh, I am further uh, of the opinion that because... Uh, the victim told his mother, uh, described two male men bothering her son. And my, and the last thing that he says to his mother is, uh, Mom, I got to go. Those men are coming inside. They parked their, their truck in the parking lot. They're coming inside. Mm-hmm. That's the last time she heard of him. I love you, Mom. And that's it. That was it. That was it. So, uh, <laughs> 21 months later, I get a call from the county medical, medical exam, examiner in Houston, and she asked, she says, is this Val Saval? And I said, yes. Uh, I see you're a police officer. Yes. Are you the person of record for the family? I said, I am indeed. She says, okay. Um, I got some good news and I got some bad news. I says, well, I says, you know, I'm a chess player. I suck at poker. I says, give me the bad news first. She said, homicide. <laughs> She said, homicide. I said, okay. I said, what's the good news? We know where he's at. I said, where? She says, here. He's been here as a John Doe for umpteen years. Wow. And uh, so that's my journey. And um, and um, it took another three months to cut through the bureau, uh, bureaucratic red tape because you transport a human main, remains across state and federal lines, interstate, you have to have permits all along the way. You all have, along to have the way. a trail of paper. Mm-hmm. And so when he returned back to his native home in Ohio, they had a service for him. And the family asked me to eulogize his service. And I did. And it was at that point, you might, you might say it's an epiphany, but it, it was at that point that, that um, um, guys, I, I've seen enough. I've had enough. I, I, you know, I really had enough. I was, I was, 
I was exhausted. And um, I decided that, yep, I'm going to pull a cord. This is my, this is my curtain call. You know, all the laughs and giggles that I got about, about doing this thing on a whim. Mm-hmm. Um, that was self-redeeming to me. And I didn't want to sound selfish and stuff, but no. it was, it was a matter of self-redemption, sure. you know, to a large extent. And, uh, after that, you know, um, I was just telling a young lady tonight from Australia who was a police officer, you know, what happens when you retire in a culture, when you retire in good standing, you empty your gun, unload it, make it safe, hand it over to the commander. He shakes your hand, you hand over your badge, your keys, your IDs, and all kinds of whatever is, is not your property. You hand it back to him. And um, there's, there's some finality to this, but the last thing that happens in that procedure as custom with a lot of, a lot of uh, law enforcement is he uh, shakes your hand, says job well done, and hands the weapon back to you. The one that you carried your career, you're retired in good standing. Here's a badge to keep it. You know, we're going to retire your number mm-hmm. and um, here, here's your weapon back. That's your weapon. Come on into the central dispatch with me and we're going to make the announcement. They break into regional uh, chatter to announce that you retired. And then at that point, it gets emotional because um, you realize that, uh, that you know, uh, you're on the outside looking in now. Right. And you're not a part of that big boys club anymore. And... Um, you, you're you're like everybody else out there. You're a citizen. <coughs> but when I retired, I was re- approached by uh, a group of retired federal agents <coughs> who asked me to consider joining their group to uh, look at cold cases quietly. And... Um, And I, and I turned them down because, I, you know, just like I, I, I expressed with the Bigfoot Sasquatch sighting, mm-hmm. I felt spiritually drained. Yeah. Uh, uh, I felt beaten. And um, I needed a break from that. I needed to, to find different vistas uh, to, to, to take me on. And, and um, when I went back and started considering all those missing people, you know, my heart, my heart goes out to these people. You had, you had, yeah, that would your, be tough. You had reached yeah. your point of, um, of emotional capacity. I did. I uh-huh. did. And, and, you know, it, it, it probably would have been a good thing, but, you know, um, there are other factors involved and um, I did the right choice. I made the right choice and, and stepped away from everything. When you, when you retire, all your associations and affiliations disappear. They never happen. You know, mm-hmm. you're just like, you know, John Q. Citizen. It must and, be a very uh, lonely feeling, at least for a while. Well, uh, I, I prepared for the day. Uh, and what I did was I, I took it upon myself to uh, query and ask questions of all these older men and women mm-hmm. uh, before me. 
from different agencies. And my question to them was, what did you, what did you think? what did you feel like when you retired? Mm-hmm. And you know what they all said? No. They, they all said, <clears throat> I still dream about the job today. I wake up in terror because, you know, I'm in pajamas and I'm at work. And I <laughs> yeah. didn't put my uniform on. <laughs> oh. But he says, you know, another 80-year-old uh, told me that, you know, I still dream about it. It's in my, you know, it's, it, it's in my memory. It's etched in me. It's a part of me. And um, I learned to rejoice and enjoy those dreams that I'm, I'm back on the job. I enjoyed the camaraderie. I enjoyed the, the excitement, the, adren- the adrenaline, you know, feel. And he says, but I realize also that, that I'm retired. I'm gone out of this. I'm no longer, and this is just a dream. But thank you very much for the, for the, the experience. You know, in a short split second that you have that dream, Mm-hmm. They learn to enjoy it, but they all have the same dreams. I do too. And it took me, it took me uh, a couple of years and it's still, you know, every once in a while, something uh, pops up in my memory. I might see a house, an address, or I hear a name. And, you know, those images come right back. The smells, the sounds, everything comes right back. Gentlemen, I, 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 I spoke a lot about a lot of different things, and I hope that you don't mind. But if no. you have any questions for me, well, I'd be uh, glad to answer them. I've got one question, Val, and sure. this is the, the kind of thing that's just, um, as you've been talking, I take notes. Um, I've got a you know, yellow pad in front of me. It's pretty full of notes at this point. I doodle, too. But... One of the common themes and things you said over and throughout tonight is somehow having knowledge or understanding that didn't come through just the normal the normal pathways. You didn't read it, you didn't see it on TV, you didn't hear it over the radio. Um, but there's but you you have some reason to at least move in some direction. And to know more than you might, uh, than really you should. Is that an unfair an unfair statement? No, no. But but, Victor, I can't explain that. I oh, can, I, I oh, I know. You know, it's it's <laughs> it's, it's it's difficult enough to to articulate uh-huh. know, my thoughts and, and uh-huh. feelings. Uh-huh. Um, uh, there was another situation where uh, some people claim that somebody broke into their house. They, they, they had an old uh, uh, rental house that mm-hmm. they owned. The upstairs had never been used. It was, it was vacant. Um, it was one of these old houses from back in the uh, 40s after the Second World War where, you know, houses were a premium. And uh, a lot of people had apartments sublet, you know, mm-hmm. above their home. They had a private entrance or maybe a unit entrance. Mm-hmm. Where, where the family and the tenants use, which which is always strange to me because you have a stranger walking in your house. You know, I, I could never get used to that. But anyways, uh, their issue uh, was the, the lady raising her two kids uh, came home from work and heard uh, <coughs> furniture moving around upstairs. And nobody lives up there. It's mm-hmm. not rented out. Nobody lives up there. 
but it scared her to death with her kids. And now she's got the kids huddled in the uh, living room waiting for us to arrive. And um, I don't know, three officers, myself included, we go upstairs, you know, ready for anything. Right. And uh, it is what, what I described. Just a, an, It was an obvious apartment. There was a, a small studio kitchen, cabinets, uh, bed springs, no mattress, and then a wide open dormer that might have been used for storage or something, something. But it was mm-hmm. just empty. There was nothing up there. But the fact of the matter is, when we went up there, and it was quiet, too quiet. And uh, when we went up there, I had those those tinglies, those familiar tinglies again. Those, those tinglies. Uh, the, the, the same type of tinglies that, that I felt when I was standing on that stage at that auditorium. Mm-hmm. When you know, you feel, your instinct tells you there's people out there and they're mm-hmm. watching you. They're watching you and they're very quiet. That's what I felt up there. So uh, I don't, I don't, I didn't look at it. You know, I didn't dismiss that, that call, but, um, you know, we well, didn't talk about it. It's like a sixth sense, mm-hmm. right? And we see this with doing the paranormal investigations. You know, you you spend enough time sort of, uh, you spend enough time alone in the dark asking questions and looking for answers, and you start to get a feel for places where there's activity, mm-hmm. places where there's something that you can't see, but you know that something is there. Mm-hmm. And the more you do it, the more fine-tuned that sense becomes, mm-hmm. right? Whereas, I mean, sometimes even we'll be on a trip somewhere, just driving a back road, and you pass by a house, and you're like, uh, hmm, yeah, feels like there's something might be going on there. I mean, it, sometimes it's almost that explicit, and, and sometimes you find out, oh, yeah, that's that that house you know that that mm-hmm. people are all aware of um but yeah it's it's a strange i don't know if it's a feeling of energy like a type of energy that we can't measure yet mm-hmm. uh you know victor and i we, we've had many conversations about energy and and the paranormal and uh you know i think it's just something that we we don't have instruments that that can do it yet yeah, there's some <laughs> physics that are happening that we just don't understand or know how to measure and that sixth sense whether it's psychic whether it's picking up on certain clues or whether visual sound infrasound something like that there's something going on and the more you're around it the more you you start to recognize it that's my view on it. Yeah, I think I think uh, I could agree to that to a large part. Um, <clears throat> when I was involved in buying properties to to, to fix up and flip, mm-hmm. one of the first things that I would do is do a background investigation on the history of the house. Who owned it? Who lived there? Let me see the police calls that were sent to that house. Right. What is the history right. to that house? That's what a lot of people should do with, and I recommend to people in, in Bigfoot uh, encounters and sightings, especially when it deals with the house, the residence. What is the, what is the history? 
to that to that location, that address. Uh, well, right. I don't know. I just bought the house, bought the property. You know, it was a good deal. Well, I, I says that, that may help explain what you have going on here. <laughs> you know, um, I'd be curious. Uh, maybe sometime you can give me pointers on on how to find those reports. It's it's very hard to find sometimes. We mm-hmm. sometimes my wife and I help people with problems in their house, and that's one of the mm-hmm. things we look at is is what type of history does the house have. You know, I'd love to be able to see well, uh, an easy way to find police reports yeah. and things like that. Most most uh, agencies are computer driven nowadays, right? And and they have what they call CAD, computer assisted dispatch. And anytime a call comes in, there's a number assigned to that, um, and and the dispatcher writes the notes in there. And then um, if there's any kind of enforcement or additional uh, notes and stuff, the officers will enter that in there and, and that'll pop, pop up anytime that, that that address is is called into question. That'll always be there for, for somebody else. Um, I would, I would uh, and I've told people this before, uh, this is what I do when I say background investigation. I wanna know the history of that address. What kind of calls? Because I'm familiar with the, the calls, I'm, I'm, I know what I'm looking for. I'm looking for, for, for my case, in my situation, I wasn't looking for Bigfoots. I want to know what kind of energy that we have in this house. Right. Um, I want to know who died in this house, how they died. I, number one, as, as, a, as a rule, a general rule, a principle, I don't buy any houses that, that uh, had suicides or, or murders. I don't want that. I don't want that issue. I don't want that problem. I don't want that lingering issue with me or anybody else that, that that might come across this property. I just avoid it. I don't care how good the deal is. It's not worth to it's not worth it to pass that off onto another unsuspecting soul. It's not that's not cool. And that's one of the issues I have with people gifting and baiting Sasquatches. You think it's cool, you think it's proper, you think it's right and justified. What you don't do is you you don't take the time to consider what happens when I leave this property and I stop feeding them. What <laughs> right. kind of what kind of misery am I raining down on the next on oh, the next person that comes here? along? It's person, just not sure. It's not fair, gentlemen. It's like it's like running into a uh, public bathroom and have it loaded with you know what. You you make a mess and you run off. You don't take care of it. You wait for somebody else to take care of it. It's not. It's not. It's not social it's not civilized you don't do that kind of stuff and that's what i try to impart with people and again i'm not perfect i'm a very imperfect man but um i try to do good deeds for other people but i tell them it's important to 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 learn the history of an address learn the history and you know what kind of calls you're looking for in particular you don't care that somebody was drinking beer outside the house fighting. You want to know. Um, you want to know suspicious noises, suspicious activity. That's what you want to key on. That kind of stuff. Right. Whether it's ghosts or Bigfoots, that's you know exactly what kind of activity is 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 frequently reported. That's the kind of information you're looking through. You can cut through a whole lot of red tape by doing that. But where are you finding that information? Um. 
again, you know, I'm relying on my experience. You can go to any, any law enforcement, you know, law enforcement, in spite of what people say, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of bad press out there. In spite of what people say, understand this in any community, in any town, any place, anywhere, there's not a better ombudsman. You know what an ombudsman is? Yes, I do. Yeah. There's not a better ombudsman. You know why? Because they know everything. They know right. they know who who does this kind of work or that kind of work. They know who to call if you have a an emergency uh, water leak or something. Uh, they they know who to call. They know who to get in t- contact with. You don't. They do. They deal with this all the time. So uh, you want in the future try this. Uh, uh, most all agencies have a records department or a records clerk. You want to go there. Mm-hmm. You want okay. you want the information. You want you want the information on this address. A lot of times they will say. <coughs> a lot of times they will say, uh, "Well, you got to have a FOIA." Huh. Wrong. You can go. You can go uh, photocopy uh, a FOIA request. Write out the address. And you're compelling them by law. I want this information. They may they may tell you and discourage you from from uh, getting that information because they're going to say, well, that's going to be a dollar per page or ten dollars per page. No, no, no. There, most state laws say that um, you can get it electronically. They can send it to you by email or something. Uh-huh. And some right. of them even say, you you know, if you got a flash drive, we'll put it on a flash drive. But you don't, you're not paying for that, for that uh, farce of a right. fee. Not, you're not paying for the physical paper and the, the paper copying exactly machine right. and all right. that. But you right. want the CAD, you want the CAD reports to this address. Okay. And then uh, you will get titles. You will get titles of activity, battery, assault, disorderly. And then you want to look for, in, in, in the case of ghosts and, and suspicious activity like that, you're looking for suspicious activity. Uh-huh. You're looking for, especially with Bigfoot, uh, you're looking for um, stolen things. Bigfoot, Sasquatch often steal things <laughs> or they misplace things. Uh, they'll move things around and people call that ghosts. This is what they do. Um, but anybody, anybody can get that. And some agencies will even just tell you what the CAD numbers are. You don't have to go through the FOI or any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But when, when you take the time to do an FOI, a Freedom of Information Act, right. you list the address. I want the CAD numbers for this address. Okay. That's, that seems very and, and, comprehensive. Uh, if you, yeah, if you will. Uh, I want you to uh, send that to my email. Give them an email address. This is my name. This is my email. There should not be any fee to that. Right. So yeah, I mean, we we have some departments have their uh, you know the night watch reports and stuff mm-hmm. on that you can see, but it's not an easy thing to search. So no, I didn't no. know how much of it was public or or. Uh, but so you just go to the the records department. I will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, records. Keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. I hope that helps. Now, yeah, definitely. Now, I have a question. Mm-hmm. To go back to your, your story a little <laughs> bit about the um, – when you were talking about the woman that met you in the lobby or, or that came to see you that you didn't know, uh, did you find out who that was eventually? Yeah, or was I did. that just a – No. So, uh, go ahead. 
yeah, I, I, I found out who she was and uh, we didn't meet at the library. We met on the street, you know, at the, at the, at that Lieutenant's house that I told you that I had a lot of respect for his wife is the one that put us together. Okay. Know, Val, you need to talk to this lady. She wants to meet you. Uh, so I went to her house, his house, the retired uh, Lieutenant. And that's where I met this woman. Now I did find out who she is and uh, I had her over at my house. My wife had a uh, uh, party or something with, with people from, her work place, bunch of ladies. She's a business major and those types of ladies, very right. nice, educated and stuff. And I was downstairs doing what I do, listening to the activity upstairs. It was very loud and boisterous, but uh, they invited uh, the lady over and uh, gentlemen, I got to tell you, uh, that woman, uh, each, each lady, each visitor that came over paid a fee and she was going to, uh, tell these ladies individually what's up with their lives. What's up with, mm -hmm. with you? What's happened the same kind of stuff that she did me. Right. Mm -hmm. I didn't pay her anything and I wasn't going to pay her anything for that. But, uh, one person that I remember because I'd go up every, every now and then to grab some refreshments and maybe a handful of pretzels, you know, just minding my own business and uh, come back downstairs. One of the ladies uh, apparently had a, uh, a strange situation with their father that they haven't seen and spoken to for years. And um, apparently uh, this lady told the uh, peer of my wife, well, this is what the deal is. Um, uh, your dad loves you and he wishes that, that uh, you guys never had a falling out. He thinks it's silly, but he really wants to make amends to you. And uh, he asked you to look for, and he mentioned something, uh, some military medal or something that he received. And, um, Apparently, according to my wife, and I heard, I heard the ladies up there gasp. Uh, apparently, the lady said, the peer said, oh, my gosh. Uh, that, I know what that is. That's dad's bronze star or something. Uh -huh. And then all of a sudden, right there in the dining room, she gets a phone call. Her dad's on the phone. He wants to <laughs> talk. He wants to talk to his daughter. That's I don't cool. know about I don't know about you, but but uh, you know Thanks. I had I had difficulty with this because you know in in my biblical uh, understanding that's wrong, and um, all I what? know is that is that when I die, I want to go to I want to go up there. I don't want to go down there. Right. That's me. That's my per personal preference, gentlemen. And, um, um, I didn't go out and I didn't go out and seek this woman's help. Although I, I got to say this, that when I was banged up in that, uh, car accident, some, uh, homicide detectives came to me to ask me for help. They were looking for a missing man. 
similar situation. This one was was apparently abducted from a clubhouse or something, just disappeared, and they needed they needed help. They were familiar with what I did, and I asked the lady. I said, "Would you would you consider um, climbing aboard on a, on a team and and work this missing person case together?" And uh, I got as far as um, uh, getting uh, ATF involved uh, with with that uh, sensing device that that checks the ground for cadavers or anything mm-hmm. down there, you know, with a ultrasound. Right. And uh, my administration put a stop to it. Oh, I, you know, you know, uh, <laughs> that's too far out. That's too wacky. That's that's too this or that. Um, and this is running long, gentlemen, but uh, I, I do want to say this to Mr. Griffin. Griffith? Griffith. Griffith, yes. My, uh, early, in my early career, um, I met a uh, police captain out of Ohio, Canton, Ohio. His name was uh, Dr. Griffith. He was PhD. And um, under his tutelage, he, uh, very nice, uh, took it upon himself to to uh, spend time with me and and show me and tell me some stuff. He says he says Val. He says and, and Dr. Griffith was going across the country on a national circuit speaking about occults, cults, and gangs. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he told me, Dr. Griffith told me. He says Val. He says you have. You have the foresight. You have that. He says, he says, I'm going to show you something that um, if, if, if you're patient and if, you're, and if you understand what I'm going to tell you, uh, you're going to be in demand in the future. In the, in the very near future, he says, there's going to be a demand for experts in occults and cults. Those are two different things. C-U-L-T and, and uh, O-C-C-L-T right. mm-hmm. and gangs. And, and, you know, if you know anything about those topics, um, there's hundreds, hundreds of organizations and types. Right. And just as he said, just as prophetically as he said it was going to happen, um, I, looked at, I looked at the two, the first two choices, and I said, no, that's not me. I don't want to get involved in that. <laughs> there was a time when when uh, there was some thought about taking remote viewing training for mm-hmm. me, and sure. I, I I couldn't do that again because of of my principles and and you know my understanding. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't bring myself to do that. I, I wasn't um, I wasn't I wasn't clear with that. I wasn't. Uh, certain of it it's 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 it was an inner conflict with me you know that's understandable mm-hmm. and yeah, so i didn't and, and it's the same thing with you know psychics and such um uh or or sensitives uh you know it it surprised me when i discovered that you know a fair amount of you know even official uh, Catholic exorcists use sensitives in their investigations. 
mm-hmm. you know, and they're vetted and ensure that, you know, from their perspective, what they're getting is from God and not otherwise. Now, what their process is for that, I, I don't know, but I know they do vet them. Uh, and, but it it is amazing uh, the things that some people are able to pick up on and, uh, you know, you don't know quite how that happens, but remote viewing is a fascinating topic. But I was, I, it is interesting to hear of a psychic type of interaction that, uh, you know, where they actually came to you mm-hmm. from a, a investigation perspective mm-hmm. and uh, obviously keyed in on something of importance that they, they felt. That was a tr- that's a true and accurate rendition, you know, of the facts. I, I didn't seek them out. They came to me. Right. And uh, that's one of the reasons why the whole thing was was puzzling. I'm told by people that, that are aware of this that um, um, there was a reason why this, this, this happened like this. You were supposed to do this. This is what you were meant to do. Right. And, um, and so I accepted that as such. But um, we covered a lot of stuff tonight, guys, and we I'm did. getting tired now. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Val. <laughs> I, I, I just didn't want to. Uh, I didn't want to stop you if you still wanted to talk. Yeah, we're terrible. We'll ramble on and on and on. Yeah. <laughs> but listen, Val, I can't tell you how deeply grateful I am. Well, I'll tell you, it's been my pleasure. Um, and you know, Victor's been a pretty good dude with me. And yeah, he's always like had. That. Very good conversation together. <laughs> and and um, it's been my pleasure talking to you as well, both you and uh, JJ. Um, now you know now you know who the face is and the, and the name. And when you see that, you know, around Facebook and stuff, you can say, yeah, I know who that guy is. He's either a, a crazy man or, you know, <laughs> he, had, he was pretty interesting. But uh, I do enjoy chit-chatting with people. You know that's one of the things that uh, that that I love doing, um, but um, it was really a pleasure uh, stepping in here uh, when you do. So well, it was great having you. Great having and, you. Uh, great hearing your experiences and stories. That's what Thank we love. Thank you. So the other question, Val, is <laughs> is for people to get in touch or uh, you know any. Uh, links or anything you'd like to put out there for well, for folks to go look at? Yeah, um, they can always, uh, if they want to lurk and stuff, they can always look me up at uh, Michigan Bigfoot Reports and Data, Gumshoe Guys Corner. Uh, it's a pretty, it's a pretty, it's a blue schemed uh, logo and it speaks for itself. And um, I, I look for <clears throat> Detroit, or not Detroit, but Michigan Reports in particular. If people have reports, okay. um, there's a certain there's a certain format that I follow that I try to educate people on. You know, this is the right way to to, to write a report. You know, Lee, I don't want to know about Aunt B making a pie. I don't want to know about Elmer driving your neighbor to the store because he's got pain and gas and stuff. I just want to know the facts. <laughs> what were you doing when this occurred? You don't know when, when it was. Was it spring, fall? Was it warm weather? Was there snow on the ground? That'll tell me. Uh, yes, it was. It was. It was fall. It was uh, deer during deer hunting season. It tells me a lot. 
you know, right. as an investigator. But if you include the year, month, day, and hours, the time, that's very, very helpful in tracking these things. So, okay. With, and so that's that, the, the Facebook group then. Yes. So, yes. so we can put a link to that out in the show notes. If people are mm -hmm. interested, they can follow and, that. And if they want to hear some more uh, chatter about Bigfoots and all other kind of stuff, uh, I'm on, um, on um, Rolling the Bones um, podcast on Sundays and stuff. So I'm, I'm oh, told okay. that that goes out all across Australia and Europe and stuff. So anyways, uh, thank you guys so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank and you. I, and, and, you know, I have a lot of respect for you guys. And now, the Gang of Nerds and the Dankworth Smythe family present a new feature of the Paranormal Rundown, Dungeon Talk, consisting of some of the banter and discussion that occurred before the official start of the episode. Often, it is, as we say across the big pond, ripping good stuff. Uh, you know, I live a, a rather boring life, guys. I'm retired, and uh, I, found, I found a niche into this. And um, my involvement in Bigfootery wasn't something that I aspired to, you know, as a, as a small child. It was something that, that I w walked into by sheer tragic happenstance. So um, um, that's how I got involved in this. And then what I did was I brought over the skills and the, uh, you know, the databases, opening up the databases, the same kind of things that we used in law enforcement. Uh, I did and I used for Bigfoot. And, and today, you know, I, ha I have four databases. I have the largest Michigan Bigfoot database in the state. And that's not, that, that hasn't, that title hasn't come without its issues too. I've received threats over that hmm. and, and intimidation and, um, um, uh, stalking and that kind of stuff, you know, fraud, fake hoax, that kind of stuff. I know. Um, it, it is pretty nasty. It's pretty bad. It's a very, very contentious community. Vicious. What, what kind of threats would you actually receive? That seems crazy to me. Um, uh, the individual said that if I don't give him the first book, my first book, <clears throat> uh, he would he would break my legs. <laughs> and okay. and and um, I don't know if you've read my bio, but you know, uh, you know, I dealt with some some pretty pretty mean people. Yes, and and I don't take that lightly. You shouldn't. Right. I, you, I mean, you can say that, you can say that tongue in cheek, but you don't know me well enough to to say you know to say that to me. Well, of course not. As, as far right. as I'm concerned, you just well, don't. You don't do that. I don't come up to you, David or JJ, and 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 make a comment like that to you lightly. I wouldn't never do that. You just don't do that. No you sane know. person would. No. Val, finish finish your question. So you were asking about Ingrid in, did you yes. say Michigan? Yes, Michigan State Police Trooper. And <clears throat> she wrote a book, a pretty extensive book. And, and you know, she went on the, the national circuit promoting that book. And, um, you know, there's stories in there 
from different police officers across the state, if not across the country. I know that for a fact. And they all share their unusual encounters and stuff. And uh, because because policing is is a dynamic activity involving people um, in different situations, some good, some bad. Um, those places are imprinted with, in my in my opinion, are imprinted with the energy that they give off. They'll and it'll always be there. And therefore, a lot of these a lot of these guys and girls. You know, they experience this stuff and they don't know what to do with it, you know. So she puts it together in a book. And uh, I thought maybe I'd mention that if you if you do some research, you'll you'll probably find it out there. Yeah, I see. True police stories of the strange and unexplained. Yes. Ingrid P. (laughs) Dean. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's. um, That's one for me to you. Well, I appreciate that. I'll, Mm -hmm. I'll check it out. That's mm-hmm. it is it is interesting. It's funny. It's a place we used to go to up in uh, Pennsylvania a lot, uh, Hillview Manor outside uh, in Newcastle, outside Pittsburgh, and investigate. And they used to, you know, they would have calls there on a regular basis. Something would set mm-hmm. off the alarm. Somebody would see someone in the window, stuff like that. And it got to the point where the police were like, yeah, we're just not going in there. There's never anything in there. And, you know, you guys let us know if you have a real problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have, uh, we've, we've talked with uh, police at cemeteries uh, where they're doing their patrols and, you know, we're checking out old civil war sites and stuff. And, and then they mm-hmm. usually have a story to tell. They usually, you know, Oh, I heard a cannon, you know, in the middle mm-hmm. of the night, <laughs> we don't have those around here. So, you know, you guys out there when on your, on your tours, you're just, you get to see and hear so much that others don't get to, I think it's, it's got to be one of the more interesting parts of yes, the job. It is. It really is. And and I was very very fortunate to have Art Bell travel along with me. I worked midnights for fifteen years. Oh, so yes. my writing my my writing <laughs> partner. And I'm not telling any tales. I'm just saying, you know, uh, he was there a big part of that that time. And so, um, yeah, he, he, was, uh, he was the best there ever has been. Really. Really, he was, and 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 when he when he fell, when he left, uh-huh. um, the in my opinion, the show has never been the same. Oh, no, nothing like it. No, no. Yeah, I no. think we all agree on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the its current incarnation is um, less than to be desired, unfortunately. The, the current incarnation. I, I wish is... I had discovered Art Bell when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I did it much later in life, listening to previous YouTube recordings. But yeah, there is nothing better. Well, who knows? He might have had you on, on as a uh, guest, as, <laughs> as, he, as he did as he did a lot of people. That's true. Um, um, what, what I love so much about him was it didn't matter who the guest was, didn't matter how mm-hmm. crazy they were. Mm-hmm. He treated them all the same. He you did, know? and and he he brought. He brought levity to the, uh, you know, to the show, uh-huh. you know, his, his personal, <laughs> his personal follies. Uh, the, the one time that I remember, and I'll always remember this, 
he's on the show. He's broadcasting across the country, you know, AM, and, uh, AM coast to coast, across the nation, across the world. Uh-huh. And he's playing around with uh, uh, super glue. And he gets it stuck on his mustache. I remember, I remember that. that. You remember, or he gets it stuck on his lips. He says he said something like, "Everybody, or you know, everybody, I've got super glue." <laughs> you guys remember that? I what do. A funny thing that to was. have happen on air. Yes, yes. But that's the way he was. Hi, everybody. This is Vicar Manson. I decided to give Cedric and Avalon the evening off. They've worked very hard. Thank you so much for listening to this unique episode of the Paranormal Rundown. I hope you'll agree that Val is a tremendously fascinating guest with an incredible, rich life full of great stories. Val is the sole administrator for the Michigan Bigfoot Photo Archive group on Facebook and is a co-administrator for the General Bigfoot Photo Archive. You can find both of these on Facebook. Be sure to listen to Val's podcast, Rolling the Bones, every Sunday evening. There are exciting changes coming to the Paranormal Rundown. You'll have to tune in next episode to find out what they are. The Paranormal Rundown is a joint production of David Griffith, J.J. Johnson, and Vic Hermanson. Any media clips used were used under the protection of the Fair Use Doctrine. The music you heard tonight was provided by Lobo Loco. We will have a great many more social media links in the next few weeks. But for now, please send us any thoughts you have, good, bad, whatever you have to say. We want to hear it all. Or, if you would like to be a guest on the Paranormal Rundown, please write to us at feedback at paranormalrundown.com. So, for two weeks, this is Vikram Manson, signing off. <laughs>